0: And um, Welcome back to my channel over and over and over again, which features everything to do with Arsenal. This is my second live podcast, the, the positive Arsenal podcast, I call it, because we try to be positive, which is easy at the moment because Arsenal is doing reasonably well for a change, so we can stay positive for the next couple of weeks, hopefully, at least, anyway. And um, as you can see, I've got some, uh, some great guests joining me tonight to, um, you know, to go over the first week or so of the new Premier League season and, and what we've got to come. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, Melvin, how are you doing, mate? You all right? Thanks for coming yeah. on the channel. Fine, thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. Looking forward to this. No, it's, it's good. It's good to always good to chat to you. Of course, Albert from uh, Albert JTv. How are you doing, mate? You all right.
1: Not bad, mate. It's a pleasure to be on, isn't it? I, I had to miss last time, unfortunately. But yeah, it's good to good to be on your channel, man. To support you.
0: Yeah, yeah, just not available last time, but it's fine. It's good to have you on anyway. And of course, Andrew coming a bit of a regular now. He was on last week as well. Uh, he's back Ooh, again from. Cool. <laughs> back yeah. uh,
2: how, how are, are you How are you all? All right. <laughs> Sorry, you little pun there. Everyone went over. Yeah, it we've got it. I got yeah. it. my head. It's all right. I got it. <laughs> Thanks ever so much for having me back on. It's great, and uh, yeah, looking forward to it.
0: Great, I'm good start. I mean, you know, it's always uh, it's always nice to chat to you guys. You know, we've we've obviously been on shows together before, haven't we? On various other yeah. channels. Know, which is always good. Um, well, so if we kind of crack on, first of all, I mean, I don't want to spend too long on, on it, really, like the Fulham match from Saturday. Um, you know, obviously, we've all spoken about it on other sort of shows and stuff over the last sort of few days anyway. But just really wanted to look at a couple of things, really. First of all, what sort of most impressed you about the performance? And also, where do you think we need to maybe improve moving forward, bearing in mind it was Fulham that we played. It wasn't one of the sort of top sides. So, If we start with, with Melvin, what, what do you think, what sort of impressed you most about Saturday's performance?
3: I thought our intensity, our speed, our directness, and also just that I felt very relaxed during the whole game, which away from home is very unusual, no matter what team we play. We seem to uh, make hard struggle, it, but at this time we didn't. I thought it was just fantastic. I actually enjoyed watching the game from start to finish. Um, and where do we need to improve? I don't really, we obviously have to, improve. every team's looking to improve, I suppose. But I suppose if I'm being very, very uh, critical, I'd like to get a centre forward. And I'm not going to go at Lacazette because he does so much work, but a, a clinical centre forward to put any chance we get away. That's what I would really love. Without Bamiyang's uh, goals and, and a clinical centre forward, we'd be riding very high. Perhaps Eddie, maybe
0: he's a finisher, isn't he? Six yard box. I don't know. Whether. He can maybe do more of a job this season, perhaps in that role. You know, yeah, maybe. Perhaps.
3: perhaps. But uh, not at the moment. He isn't. But there's a, there's hope for the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, what about yourself? What, what sort of impressed you most about that on Saturday? Obviously, you know, it was a good win, wasn't it? It was when I got to
1: actually finally see the game because I actually missed the game with the day. But um, it's a it's a nightmare to try and watch it back um, full ninety minutes anyway. But I think for me, I was impressed, um, particularly, um, depending on whether we had possession of the ball or out, possession with them without the ball. We sort of reverted to a back four and sort of a back five. For so that, was good to see the flexibility. Yeah. And um, we pushed up higher in terms of our wing-back. So, Fulham were really, really penned in. So, probably oh, yeah. not even just because of the game on Saturday, but going throughout the whole season. Um, I want to see... Um, can you hear me, Rich? Yeah, you just sort of Can I hear think me? you had a lag going oh. on. <clears throat> All right, no, um yeah, I think the thing I want to for the whole of the season mm-hmm. going forward is um obviously we've had an issue at Arsenal defensively with set pieces. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. So yeah, we yeah. brought in a new guy. We got we brought in the um the guy from Brentford, didn't we? Um the Swedish guy to come and work with the set pieces and So hopefully that's something that we will improve on this season, really, because last season we um, were in the top two or three for point for most goals conceded from set pieces. So that does need to change. But I'm generally happy about the performance, though.
0: I mean, I I guess we were fortunate maybe against Fulham they didn't have a lot of corners and free kicks, really, did they? Because they didn't get near our goal near enough, really, game, did they? So we won't really see how the improvements have gone until we maybe face a team that's more gonna more opportunities like that for us, I guess, wouldn't they? Um, what about yourself, Andrew, what what, what impressed you most about, um, about Saturday's win?
2: Um, we've just got total control. Uh, we never look like we are really in, in trouble, at any part of the, the game. Um, it's almost like what we're aiming for is like the sort of Ajax, total football type of, of team, whereby the, the pitch is divided into certain zones, and when one player moves out of one zone, another one takes over into that zone, so to cover each other. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, I, I just love the way that we're playing at the moment, and yeah, we—it's we, just calm, it's relaxed, like Melvin said. The, the, you don't feel stressed anymore, and it's just so encouraging. I, I can't remember. Uh, you know feeling like that for so so many years whereby I think we could withstand and withstand sort of heavy pressure I don't think that I mean we showed against Liverpool at the end of last season even when we went behind we don't seem to panic anymore and nothing our heads don't drop you know we're always confident everyone knows their job inside out already Uh, and even like you know I can't can't praise someone like Mel Moel Neney enough, you know, slotting back into the team, not having played for the club since I think it was April twenty nineteen, and just a few weeks coaching under Mikel Arteta. Look, look at the difference. You know, he's an actual usable, really, you know, pretty good quality midfielder again, and uh, slotted mm. straight back into the team. Didn't put a foot wrong, and uh, just so encouraging, really encouraging. So yeah, it was a great performance, and um, I think. The first that couple of minutes where there was that bit of a mix up with uh, Gabriel, Uh, you know, I mean, I think too much was made of that, really. I mean, literally his first two two minutes of football after two minutes of football in six months, I think he uh, he hadn't played a competitive game. How long had he had after his lockdown, um, his uh, quarantine? Well, maybe he had about a week maximum with the team. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's, there's, there's the language gap, he's just moved into a new league uh, I think too much was made of that what a, what a debut by him what a debut by Willian uh, both looked like they'd just slotted into the team seamlessly
3: so yeah, very encouraging, really happy Yeah, no, I just no. add something so sorry Richard, oh, you're yeah. talking about him making that mistake, sorry but I hope he goes on to have a parallel career like another Arsenal great had in his first game, who made a mistake the first time the ball came to him. Yeah, yes. Richard. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Tony Adams. Yeah. No, oh, no. Yeah. Vieira. Oh, he oh, came oh, on the oh. start. The ball went under his foot
4: yeah.
3: went for a throw, but he got a little bit better after <laughs> that. <laughs> do you know? Yeah. Do, you, and Andrew's do you know there, what was? Um, so was do
2: you know terrible. what was? Was it? So I was going to say. Do you, do you know what was really encouraging about Gabriel as well is that. Uh, it didn't, it didn't affect him in the slightest. You know, it, you know no. it could have made him really quite nervous after that, but he didn't Did
0: you not care. Think, it, I, I personally thought that was maybe a bit of a language barrier. I don't know whether he heard a call from Leno behind him to leave mm, it, or maybe yeah. he misunderstood the communication. And he, so he, he sort of left the ball for Leno, didn't he? Leno clearly wasn't ready to take it. And I just think it was more of that than anything else, wasn't it? I just think that there maybe was, the communication, there, he doesn't speak English properly yet, does he? Maybe he had a problem understanding what... Was going on and it was early in the game and stuff so yeah bet the fact he recovered from it as
2: well as he I've did heard, uh, heard some people say as well that the pitch was heavily heavily watered and that the ball were, wasn't running truly and it, it was it sort of ran quite slowly as well which uh, also affected it so yeah I, I just think he recovered from that brilliantly yeah. and uh he, he looks uh, like a very very good defender very good defender
0: but he's certainly a, a good start. I mean, you know, he couldn't have done much better, could he? Really, for a debut, getting nice. a goal and performing the way that he did was was mm. fantastic. I mean, elsewhere, obviously, last weekend it was the first um, the first weekend of the new season. Um, I know not everybody played due to various other sort of reasons, but I mean, what were you sort of what were your highlights of that opening weekend? I mean, obviously, apart from our, us being top of the league um, and playing so well, I mean, what was your sort of highlight? There's only elsewhere? one. There there only one, That's too <laughs> obvious. Well, yeah, I mean,
2: <laughs> Spurs, Spurs. Oh I my! Mean, oh my God! Relegation threatened well, Spurs.
0: Well, yeah, obviously that that was that was quite enjoyable as well, wasn't it? I mean, what about yourself, mate? What were your sort of highlights of the weekend, obviously except for our, except for our game?
3: Sorry, sorry. Me? Me? sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got... yeah. You mate. I, I'll speak then. Sorry. Um, my one was yeah. I was out in the garden on Sunday. Lovely day getting some raising, and then my son phoned me, he said, have you seen what's happening here? And, what's the matter? Spurs are getting beats 20 minutes to go, you've got to watch it. So I went inside, and I was so bored, but so happy to be bored. It was unbelievable. It really was.
0: Yeah, it was good that they were so terrible as well. I mean, it wouldn't have been so good. I mean, I it, saw them losing, but when they lose and they play that badly, it's oh. even better. I mean, unfortunately, they, they managed still to... Be playing now. They managed to scrape through tonight, didn't they, In the uh, in the Europa League, yeah. with gets a team that has like nine players or something, but anyway, I mean, you know, it's quite funny what's going on there, really. But what about yourself, Al? What was your sort of highlight of the of the weekend? I know you uh, didn't watch a lot of Yeah, I, I, you know what I mean,
1: because I remember when I did one. I think I did one of my a slot on my channel. You messaged me saying about you missed the Everton game, and um, <laughs> you know what? I think with Tottenham, and it's, it this goes back to probably last season as well. Some of the football under Mourinho. I mean, I'm listen. We're not even. Tottenham fans but it was tedious um, and yeah people might say it was the first game of the season but I was sort of looking at more a point of how Everett are going to do because um, the biggest issue for them last season was their midfield and I know Ancelotti wasn't happy with them so they've got they bought Alan they bought Takure who we've been singing his praises from since day dot yeah I mean, yeah, I mean 20 million well, for, for 20 million for a, a guy who's got Premier League experience I just to me it's for me for Arsenal it's a no-brainer but you know yeah. it, it, what it is but um yeah james rodriguez he's had he's you know he had a fantastic world cup what 2014 um had a good first year at real madrid but after that it's been it's been it's been tough for him playing under different managers and systems but even in that game you saw you saw the snippets and bits of quality that he potentially has and is going to be really really good this season the way he p- he falls in between the pockets and between the strikers and the midfield um so It'd be interesting to see how they get on. And I actually think Dominic Calvert Lubin will have quite a decent season this season. He did all right towards the back end before the um before the pandemic and the and the, and the lockdown. But it'd be interesting to see how he gets on this season, Dominic Calvert lubin Um but Everton mm. well, was very, very impressive. I thought Spurs were for the taking, actually. I thought 1-0 flattered Tottenham.
0: Yeah, shame we're not playing them this week or next next couple of weeks. while they're still over the shop. Anyway, I'm sure we'll still beat them when we do play them. What about yourself, Andy? What was your sort of highlight? Obviously, apart from Tottenham losing, which I know we all enjoyed.
2: <laughs> um, well, Leeds, Look, watching Leeds, yeah. and uh, yeah. uh, you know, I think they're going to be a lot of people's second favorite team this year. And uh, I weren't far off from a prediction of them beating Liverpool. You know, I think it could could have gone either way, couldn't it? Really, and. Uh, yeah. Got, they've got no fear. They just took the game to Liverpool, and it was just—I uh, mean, the first half especially it was just—it uh, was fantastic. It, was like, it was like watching a game with FIFA or, or something, you know, that the kids are playing. It's like <laughs> goals yeah. going in left, right, and centre. So yeah, I think they're going to be um, very entertaining. Uh, they're going to—they're going to let in some goals, but you can't—but yeah. can do anything but just admire the way they play. Uh, such as an attacking style. Um, so that was a really good game. And I mean, I, I was really impressed with Everton, but you know, I'm going to hold back on, you know, the Hamish Rodriguez. Uh, yeah, I'd love to, I'd like, love to see him in about, you know, when, once he's got about 10 games under his belt. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's what I mean. a, a, Tottenham was so, so poor, you yeah. know, and, you know, a, a, they've made some really good, be, uh, buys Everton. They really have for a change. Yeah. Um, Looks like they haven't wasted their money, but I'd I'd like to see them against some better opposition uh, because Tottenham offered absolutely nothing. I, I listened to a TFO football podcast today, um, just reviewing the weekend, and one of the presenters on this on on that I don't know if you, if you ever heard that podcast really really good, and uh, one of the presenters is a Tottenham fan, and he could not have been more scathing about his own team and the other The other presenter as well, went on for a good five minutes or so, just saying just exactly how poor they were and it, it, you don't often hear uh sort of, you know a, a, a sort of a, a top podcast that's not related to any specific club slate a team as much as you as they did you know it was, it was actually hilarious to listen to um but yeah otherwise. <laughs> But, yeah, I, I'm just going to look forward to watching a few uh, Leeds matches this year because I think they were very, very good. Really good. But I, I think the other two, to, Fulham, to Fulham and West Brom, I think you might as well say that they're down already. And West Ham, again, what a shambles. Uh, the, the, that that the was shambles. really poor. Really, really poor. They're going to go, um, I, it, I think I think they're going to go down, I think. I really do. I mean, yeah, they, it was a bad start. No, go on, man.
3: We'll
0: carry
2: on, yeah.
1: You're saying about
3: the uh, first game of the season, how bad they were, but they played like it was the last game of the season. There was no energy. There was nothing there. And it, mm. I'll say something. Wolves have got a decent little team. You've got to mention Wolves. You've got to mm. mention Everton. Our resurgence. They may not finish in the top eight or nine Spurs this year. They could really struggle. And you they you need the Europe more, more than we you, need Europe. Newcastle
0: made some good signings. They, they don't look a bad side when they've got everybody fit and available, they've got some good players as well. So, yeah, I think Tottenham need to back their... Well, they don't need to back their ideas up, but from their point of view, they need to if they're going <laughs> to um, even challenge in the top in the top eight, right. really. They did look very poor, didn't they? Um, well, do you know
2: is- what the best thing will be? Because they're going to... um It looks like they're going to swap Deli Alley as part exchange for Gareth Bale. And uh, <laughs> it just be hilarious if they bring back Gareth Bale. And he just gets injured yeah. in the first match because you can just see it happening, can't you? And he'll be out for a few months.
1: And it's, a, possible, he, it's a possibility. It's a possibility. He's got it a is.
2: After doing a bit of
1: years. It's been very, very niggling injuries he's had. Um, so it is a calculated risk, like
2: they said. Absolutely, and I'll just, i just really pray for that because that would just be fantastic. <laughs>
0: Well, because we all clearly are enjoying uh, enjoying Tottenham at the moment. Anyway, which which is always good.
2: Oh, Rich, you make, Rich you make a good
1: point. Rich, you make a good point about um, Newcastle. Done some really smart business actually getting um, mm. Callum Wilson because people were sort of nailed on him going Villa. It would have, it'd been sort of going back home, and he didn't go. And then they got in Jamal Lewis. So I wouldn't have minded an Arsenal to be honest with as a backup left
0: back. Yeah, you mentioned him a few times in the
1: past. Yeah, with yeah. Liverpool linked with him, but they opted for the other guy. Um, the, um, um, Costa Simicast, I think they bought instead. So, um, yeah, and touching on leads quickly, um, it'd be interesting to see how they get on for the rest of the season. Just because, obviously, when they sort of faltered in coming up to the Premier League in the last couple of years, um, people put it down to the fact that Bielsa plays such a high pressing game that the players were just knackered. So, so by the time, so I don't know how they're going to maintain that. But to be honest, I think they will play the same way. I don't no think really? they compromise. Um, a lot of teams come up from the Championship. Obviously, Bournemouth got found out last season, but they, they came up with a philosophy of playing quite attacking football and they sort of got away with it. But it caught up with them last season. And obviously, they got relegated. But, you know, not too many teams come up from the Championship into the Premier League and go on the front foot and stay up. So it'd be interesting to see how they get on. I mean, it's, it's that... not compromise. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's yeah, definitely... a bit more... You've had Sheffield United, obviously last season, Wolves as well. Yeah. They, they came up and um, kind of went for it, didn't they? And they had good seasons. I, I can see Leeds doing similar, sort of to what they've done. Actually, you know, I think they'll be mid-table, round about that sort of area that, of the league this year. I think. I mean, it's still early days, and we'll see. But I get that feeling from them. That, you know, the way that they're set up, the way the players that they've got, the way that they play. Um, but I guess, I suppose, the Premier League is a different, it's a different level, isn't it? It's what they're used to. Something like you said, the intensity that they play at might, yeah. Um, proved to be difficult to maintain for ninety minutes against I mean they did it against Liverpool. I know they conceded at the end the penalty, but you know they oh, obviously well, managed well, eighty-seven, well, 87 minutes Liverpool. Brilliantly gutted. It gives up hope, doesn't it, for the next two two weeks or next week actually, isn't it, next Monday when we play Liverpool. yeah. You know.
2: Well they're just it's just like they are very fallible at the back, aren't they, Liverpool? They're very really yeah. fallible. Good.
0: I mean, f- funny enough, the best defender this weekend wasn't Van Dyke for a change, was it? It was one of our
2: defenders, the best
0: defender of the weekend. Yeah, um, well, okay. Van Dyke actually looked like one of our old defenders that we've.
3: That <laughs> <been>. <laughs> he looked like Dick Van Dyke. No, he did. But yeah. Hello, <laughs> so, yeah, so like
2: Mary Poppins. Like Hello, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean,
0: talking about the old bamboo, the old bamboo. We're playing West Ham aren't we on uh, on Saturday? Yes. Um, which uh, you know they've not had a great start to the season. I know they won the other night in the um, in the League Cup, didn't they? Beat Charlton as you'd expect them to, really. Um, I mean, obviously, Arsenal West Ham got quite a, a long history of certainly sort of top flight meetings over the last sort of twenty thirty years. Just sort of really want to know some sort of some memories that you might have from sort of previous games against West Ham, especially at home at Highbury and stuff like that. I mean, Melvin, you must have a few, mustn't you? I mean, man, yeah, I
3: mean, of recent, well, kind of recent times. When we demolished them with Burkamp and Overmars I think it was a 3-0 half-time I think we beat them 4-0 Or was it even 4-0 yeah, yeah. half-time yeah. We, yeah. Overmars and, and Burkamp were on a different level The understanding between the two of them that is, that is That for me was a great, great result And I actually went When we beat them 6-1 in the I think the 70s We had Brian Kidd, got a hat-trick I went to that game I as well die. God, there, yeah. that was Everything we shot went in you know what I mean? It's one of those games where... But I've got to tell you a funny funny story with me. A at West Ham, right? Got, I might have told you before. If Andrew, you've heard it, I will apologise. I got taken by work from someone from work, a mate of mine who's a West Ham sport. He says, got these really good seats. It was near the end of the season. Do you want to come? I said, of course I'll come. So I went straight from work, had a suit on and tie and all that. Absolutely wonderful. He had these seats, lower tier, but you can get a drink before the game. So we had a couple of drinks, went out, sat down, and Petrovich was playing for us. Do you remember him? Petrovic yeah. he was playing. Yeah, it was his. that blinder, didn't he? He's got yeah, he was, yeah. He, I loved him, but he didn't make it with us. I loved it. And he, I think it was with us season. Anyway, he, in the first minute, he got the ball, beat the back, crossed it, and Brian McDermott went in and scored. I stood up and went, "Yeah!" And I realised I was the only person cheering. So <laughs> I stood up and went, "Oh, side linesman. And that <laughs> saved me. <laughs> that saved me to this day. Because I will tell you what. The women there had tattoos, you know what I mean? It was like, wow. <laughs> quite again.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it used to be getting back to the station sometimes after the game, used to be fun, didn't it? Getting back to the station, oh, yeah. coming out oh, of the ground, yeah. especially a night game, That used to be fun at cool. games. Yeah, yeah sometimes. Oh. Um, what, about you, what about yourself, Albert? What sort of um, memories have you got of playing against West Ham, games against West Ham? Oh,
1: um, I mean, our record's pretty good against them. To be honest with you, I was, yeah. I was checking it all the other day. I think they've not. I think with West Ham, and I think I, West Ham fans can argue that the cows come home, but they only turn up for the home games against the top teams. The other games are just they, they either don't play very well or they don't. They just they just don't. They only turn up for the big games. But I remember the um, I don't know yeah, this time, when we played them. I think we played them Boxing Day away, twenty. 13. I thought he won 3 1 away to uh I think he's on box, yeah. Definitely boxing. Yeah, more uh uh Casola scored us sc- scored a scorcher from that box That's outside. Right.
3: Yeah, beautiful.
1: Girl. I, yeah. One that I think it's definitely three one we won. I remember that. Yeah, just brilliant. I remember that just brilliant performance. And um but I'm confident obviously going into Saturday because our home record is pretty deep. I don't think West Ham have beaten us at home. Ooh, it must be about five years or so. Since Petr Cech, Dave, first game of the season. It's been a while, yeah. So, um, oh, yeah. yeah if it be. had yeah. <laughs> I mean, been away to West Ham, I might have looked at it a bit differently. But yeah. I think because it's at home, um, and even going back to last season, when we was awful away to West Ham, we lost 1-0. Um, I, I mean, we've had some bad performances in recent years to think, Jesus Christ, what's happening? But that that was very, very poor. Um, and we deserved yeah. to. to be honest. We made West Ham look like world beaters. Um, was that Declan Rice's first goal, was it, for um, West Ham or something?
4: Yeah. Yeah. That was
1: two seasons ago, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Last
0: last I kind of we've one. got
1: their goal now, yeah. Um, but yeah, and we, 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 we played West Ham actually, it was the last game before the pandemic break, wasn't it?
0: Yeah.
1: And I don't know how we won that game, to be honest. With you. They should have beaten us. Yeah, they should have beaten us easily, yeah. yeah. And we've got the goal through um, the VAR. Um, Erzl- the I forgot. VAR, yeah. yeah I forgot what an assist looks like from Ezra Erzul, but yeah. Um, Last game he played that yeah, was a while, yeah. So um, yeah, we should have lost that game, but now I'm confident we'll beat West Ham to be honest. I've got, I would have said it at any stage of the season, not just because we've come back to start a new season or during the halfway through the season. I'm I'm confident we um will get the three points on Saturday. To be honest with you,
0: yeah, we've we've got a good record against West Ham. What about yourself, Andrew? What are your sort of memories of playing West Ham though, over the years? You must have seen a few.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm Trying to think of one that really stands out. Do I... you remember the one when
0: Kenny Sampson scored at Highbury? Probably towards the end of his Arsenal career, we beat him one nil. Late goal, Kenny Sampson scored. He, he first goal he'd scored about four years, and he
2: was going mad in the north bank. That was that was good. I remember that against him. No, that was a good game. I don't remember that. I'm just trying to trying to think of one that really stands out. I can't. I mean, we have got just a really... A, Really good record against them. Like you said, yeah. last season. Look, it was unbelievable that we won that one last season. Yeah, it, it was... Um, what's their their big strong forward? Um, Mikhail. That's Mikhail. Okay, yeah, yeah. He, he missed one from literally yeah. about two foot out, didn't he? Yeah. Like, just unbelievable miss. Um, I seem to remember one where... I think, I think I'm getting my games wrong, but I, I seem to remember one where were, um, Lee Dixon scored for us at uh, Highbury. And I'm trying to think of when it was. But yeah, yeah, this game coming up though, I, I, I've never been more confident about winning the game. I mean, <laughs> I was confident against Fulham, but I, <laughs> I will be quite, <clears throat> I, I'll be quite bold and say, I reckon we could get four or five this weekend. They have never been in such disarray and all behind the scenes as well. With what, you know, what's been going on with, um, with, uh, their plays all sort of, sort of, sort of absolutely go mad uh, about that sale of that young kid to it's to West Brom. Yeah, yeah. And, but apparently, I heard. I, I don't know whether this is uh, this is true or not. But I, I heard that Karen Brady, after the all that sort of kicked off, because David Moyes was also not happy about it, and Karen Brady actually said to him, "Well, don't worry, you're getting sacked at the end of the season anyway, if not before." Wow. Today's that's, I mean, that's, that's not that's a, that, say, that, that, that's a way to build morale, isn't it? You know, wow. <laughs> the, I, I mean, that whole club is a shambles. It is a mess uh, at it's the moment. Absolutely, I mean, they've got they've got play. They're in a similar position to us, but even worse. Whereby they buy all these players. I mean, they've, they've got a, a collection of about. 25 attacking forwards and sort of slash wingers and number 10s, don't they? They just keep yeah. finding them down the back of the sofa that they bought three years ago for 40 million. And they've made about two appearances, but they're all on high salaries and they can't get rid, can't get rid of any of them. So they're in a real mess. And uh, if they don't finish in the bottom three, they'd be very lucky. Very lucky, I think. long season.
0: They've tended to have these issues before and then they've, sort of pulled together and survived, haven't they? So we'll see. I mean, I, I guess it is, you know, a, it's probably a good time for us to be playing them if you with right. a problem that they've got at this oh, moment definitely. in time. And the fact that we started the season so well. I mean, in terms of the, the lineup, do you think that um, Arteta's going to make many changes from the Fulham game, Melvin? What do you think? Do
3: you think he's going to be a similar team? I hope he picks a similar team because the whole team have got momentum. And I think the yeah. only thing that can beat us on Saturday is complacency. Yeah. If like we, if we no. just... If we have the mindset, we've got to just go for the jugular. Forget who we're playing. Just go for it. Play our own football. We worry about their danger, I mean, if they got any. But just play our own football and do what we normally do. Over a period of time, we are going to beat them. And if we suddenly sit back and go, you know what? This is easy. Then we let a goal in and every... heads might drop. I haven't yet when we've gone behind. But if we go behind to a team that's low, our heads drop quicker. It's like the expectancy. So, as I say... Yeah. I. I've got every confidence we will win. A manager will keep him on side. And I'm very, very, very confident. Yeah, well, hopefully.
0: I totally agree with you. I mean, Albert, do you think he's going to make any changes to the starting eleven, Or do you think it'll be pretty much the same team that started um, against Fulham?
1: Uh, Melvin makes a good point, you know, um, what he just said about um, the complacency. I, I think I'd go even a bit further. Obviously, towards the back end of last season, when we played up, when we came up against the like the bigger sides or the you know the sides that were going to have more of the ball, it was a bit easier for us to sort of hit them on the counter. But Northern makes a good point: if we go behind, for example, have we got the creativity to break teams down? Which was a bit of an issue towards the back end of last season. Um, I would actually, I actually think it will be the same team. Um, I think because of the because this, this season's a bit different than normal and the run of games that are going to come up a bit quicker than normal. Um, you're going to get a nucleus of teams that you might have seven or eight, probably six, seven or eight players that will start most weeks, but they'll rotate around three or four different positions. But I would be surprised if it's not the same team that started against Fulham that starts against West Ham. Um, I think also just before you um, probably comes to Andrew, but I think... When we played towards the end of last season, obviously Arteta went to a back three because he's given up too many shots and try to make us a bit more defensively solid. I think even coming into this season, if you look at the centre-backs we have in terms of particularly the two new recruits, and you could probably add Pablo Mari towards that as well, there's flexibility there to go throughout the whole season playing a back three or playing a flat-back four because you've got Gabriel hadn't even played in a back five as far as I'm aware. Um, but he could, he's obviously shown the flexibility to play there Just within one game Which is positive going through, going through towards, the end, towards the season But um, there's flexibility there So yeah, I'd expect the same team, Rich, to be honest, mate Yeah, I wouldn't
0: expect too many times. What about yourself, Andrew? Do you think he'll, he'll throw any different... Play- I mean, Sabayas bearing in mind... Sort of back now, I was going to
2: say Yeah, you know, I, th- that's possibly the only change I would see Is Sabayas coming in from the start but um, it'd be harsh on Moel Nenny, but I would see that we're going to get a lot of the ball, and yeah. I, I could see that Sabyas uh, could be pushed a bit more forward, and uh, he's got that little bit extra to open up their defence, isn't he? And Willian is, I think, it's clear to to, to see that. Excuse me, <coughs> apologies. He he's, he he didn't play on the wi- uh, wide right yeah. very often at all against Fulham, he was very central, a lot of the time, William, and, um, I think that he's going to be, a a secret weapon, to unlock these defences, against the lower, uh, uh, sides, that uh, we struggled against, last season, and I think he could be, a big difference, Um, it's a shame though, it's a real shame, that we're not going to see, Pepe quite as much, because, I, I thought he, was really coming into his own, towards the end of last season, I mean, like i said before he, he look he was the man in the match in the FA cup final for me yeah. he played brilliantly uh, pepe i do you know what i just i struggled to see how he's going to get into the side regularly at the moment because he's not yeah. going to take willian out uh, at, at the moment he played too far too well uh, against fulham he's definitely going to keep his place um so yeah, that's yeah. It's a bit of a shame, but I, I'm not complaining because you know we're exactly playing. We're playing brilliantly, but yeah, I would I would see that Sobiros may come in and play that. You know, have a little bit more freedom to move forward against uh, West Ham just to. Have a, a little bit of extra trickery. I mean, you can see that filthy, um, the nutmeg he did, and the sort of the back heel when he came on. Yeah, you know, he should have got a booking for that. It was just, you know, it was unfair against that unfair against that Fulham player. He's got to go home to his children and, and just, you know, but that might make the difference. You know, against a really low block. So, but the great thing is as well, we've actually got height in the team now as well. Yes. So. You know, it's an extra thing to, to, to have for the set pieces. I mean, Ann, it's going to be hard to say who's going to be the best free kick taker and corner taker between Willian and Pepe now, isn't it? I mean, they're both lethal. So now we've got the... I mean, it, it, also, just one other thing. I think um, Rob Holding's performance went really unnoticed against Fulham. Mm-hmm. I think he had a really good game. Uh, overshadowed because of the two debut, uh, debutants we had and um, Gabriel scoring but a lot that Gabrielle goal I don't know if you noticed it was a lot down to Rob Holding the way that he was roughing up and moving around the goalkeeper if you if you watch it back it was oh. obviously because of this set piece guy yeah. we lo- we overloaded the, uh, the, the penalty box with all our tallest players and we never did that before we, we hardly had anyone in the box but we had like so all our tallest players and uh, Rob Holding was sort of made this special move around the goalkeeper to stop him from doing anything, basically, and, and got in his way and made it... And it looked like it was like a, a planned thing to me. Um, it might be that, that so, new yeah. guy that Albert mentioned doing this. That's, yeah, that's, what, it I mean. that's just, what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I mean. I, I think that it's going to make a big difference. And I said this last week, didn't I, Rich if, if this guy that's come in um makes... Because we, like, like you said, uh, Albert, we let in about I think it was sixteen goals from set pieces last season, yeah, which mate, is probably mate. one of the worst in the league. Yeah. It, just say we we can cut that down by five or six, yeah. And also on the alternative side, score maybe yeah. an extra four or five goals. That's a difference of like three or four places up the table, yeah. You know, uh, and if you if we're paying that guy three hundred grand a year, I mean whatever. I mean just the prize money alone, just from the difference in, in the league position, that would yeah. make. It's a few million quid. You know, it, yeah. it's it's a really good bit of um, management by uh, Mikel Arteta because if he sees it's a bit of a weakness from his side, from coaching set pieces, and he, yeah. so he decides to bring someone in like that, I mean, that's, that's just, that's great management, you know, yeah, delegation. Perfect. So that sort yeah. of thing could make, th- those little differences could make a massive difference this season. So, yeah, I... I, I yeah, but I, I think the possible, going back, like I said before, I mean, I could see the same team, but potentially Sabayas coming in yeah. instead of uh, El Nini.
3: Well, that holding run, he made the run that got the corner. Holdinho. So, yeah. yeah. oh, yeah. well, they reckon he's going to get a call-up now, the rumour, for Brazil. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Holdinho. he's definitely <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I, mean, it, so, I don't know how true said, it is, it's a rumour. Yeah. <laughs> I said this towards the end of last season, right? And uh, when it, remember, I was going on and on about Rob Holding uh, being because uh, I've always backed him, and I've always said he needs a good run of, of games. And I said I was going on about that, and I said that um if he could do that and get a good run in, in the team, and I'm being serious about this, next summer I, I think he could, he should pl- be playing for England. I mean, I can't see a better a centre back than him at the moment for the England team. But I I think all the ones that are being picked, Michael Keane, Slabhead, um, John Stones, none of them are as good as Rob Holding when he's uh, in full-flown on form.
1: Maguire,
2: I think
0: the only. I mean, i I think the only thing about Rob Holding I would say is I thought he did play well last week um, against uh, against Fulham. But apparently I've heard rumours that West Ham are trying to get him on loan. Now, if that's true... Would we want to play him against West Ham just before he was to go and sign for him on loan? I don't know whether or not that might maybe, um, he might not be able to play if that's the case. I don't know if, that's just, if this is true or whether it's going to happen. I know Arteta wants to keep nah, it. No, that
2: won't happen. Won't happen.
0: Um, no, but Michelang... we were, is he going to play much though? When when everyone's fit at the back, when Saliba's playing, when David Luiz is back, Pablo Mari, that's obviously, Gabriel, he's only going to get a lot of game time. Maybe not. And if he's not, he might be better off going on loan and getting games regularly in the Premier League. You know, for the best for him for his career going forward. You know, if he's not going to play much this season, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if, it, if, it's, if it's true this room, but I have heard it that West Ham apparently are trying to get him. So no, if, that, if that is the case, I'm not sure whether or not he'll, he'll pick him to play against them. Straight away, before he might go and go and play for him, I'm not sure about that. That
2: might Michael be. Hey, Mikel Arteta said uh, it, categorically, he, he went up to him and said, "You ain't going anywhere. Change your mind. You ain't going anywhere. you stopping here, didn't Wait, he?"
3: More or less, basically, yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, and
2: we've got too many. We've got too many injuries at the moment. To, to exactly allow that to happen. That's what I
3: was going to make. Why well, do it now we've got all these central? If it was like oh. halfway through the season, January t- or oh, January time the next, and then we think about doing it, yeah. that makes a bit of sense. When we got settled back like four or five centre halves that can play. But not now. Yeah. I mean another injury and we we'll, we'll have to play a second goalkeeper at centre half. No, that can't happen,
1: mate. <laughs> play Matt Major oh, now. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah,
1: I think so I want to say a quick point about Rob Holden. Now, I take your point about you make a good point, Andrew, about the other centre backs that have probably been given opportunities for England. But I think the issue of Rob Holden I'm not sure Rob Holden make it arsenal personally. I've, I've said that in plenty of my content before. But I think what the issue, what the thing is holding about Rob Holding is, I looked at his career appearances, like league appearances, in four years, he's had just over, it's under seventy games. I know, I mean, he's been ravaged by injury. So many, he's had so many injuries, it's just
2: so. That's what I what mean I about a, he needs a really good run of games to get his fitness and to get his form, and confidence. But I think. If, if if that happens, and it might yes. not be for Arsenal. It might not yep. be for Arsenal. I'm not saying yeah. that he should start for Arsenal. Even yeah. if he went to another club, I still yeah. think he's a really good defender. I, I don't think there's many better English defenders out there
3: at the moment. But there's been a change. When he came back at, from being injured before the, the lockdown, he couldn't hit a two-yard pass. His confidence was shot to pieces. Yeah, it was. You it was this, this guy should not wear the Arsenal shirt. Again, it's a liability. And then he had the break... We had the break. He came back and he's a different player. So he's got his confidence. Let's hope to see how far he can go.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I really want the best for the guy because I really like him. Yeah. Yeah. It might not be for Arsenal, like I said, but um, I I do (laughs) think he's a really good defender.
0: Yeah, no, he's he's definitely got a a lot of... And maybe the fact he's not played that many games because of injuries means that his career can maybe go on a little bit longer. He's not going to get burned yeah. out like some of the younger players. And maybe his career mm. can kind of start now and he can really push on. And like you said, whether it's with us or not, I don't know. I don't know how much game time he'll get this season. But um, I, I can see the potential in him. I, I just feel as though maybe the system we want to play maybe yeah. isn't necessarily best suited for his attributes, mm. maybe. You know, playing it out back and all that kind of stuff. I don't think that's his strength, is it, really? I think he's a good defender, I agree. Um, But I think maybe with the ball at his feet, he's not quite as comfortable as some of the other defenders that we've got. And because that's how we want to play, I think that might necessarily
2: come back. But he juggles it. He he juggles it right down the pitch. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, one one last point on Rob Holding. If he does get into the England squad for the Euros next year, and you know he's losing his hair. I really want him to get one of those comb-overs so he actually looks up Bobby Charlton or Jackie Charlton uh, <laughs> during the, the, the tournament. That to yeah, would be amazing. Could you have been to win it then?
0: It would be great, yeah. Or maybe just get, a, get a, a wig or something. Or do a Wayne Rooney, get a transplant or whatever. That one oh, might. Oh, no, just get, just get one of
2: those <laughs> wavy, <laughs> wavy comb-overs. That would be amazing.
0: Oh, so remember, we, uh, we haven't
2: had one for a while, have we, playing for England? So that would be nice. No, but you should no. bring it do back into Boston.
3: Andrew, do you remember Ralph Coates?
2: Yes, i used that
3: one of those, didn't he? Yeah,
2: I remember. Fantastic.
0: Yeah. They should be brought
2: back into fashion, the old Como back in the yeah, decade. It's
0: the way forward, definitely. I mean, obviously, we're talking about sort of transfers and stuff, obviously, with Rob Holding. We have obviously lost one player this week, haven't we? Emmy yes. Martinez has gone to Aston Villa. Um, uh, It sort of was mentioned quite a lot the last sort of week or so. Um, 20 million for him, I, I think, it's actually quite a good price when you think he, yep. for 10 years, he hardly played. He's 100%. had a few good games, and suddenly we've got 20 million for him. So I actually think we've done some good business there, and yep. I, I wish him luck myself. I I don't know what you guys think about him leaving, whether, you know, you, you've maybe wanted him to stay. I mean,
3: um, what would you think, Melvin, about, about Martin is going for 20 million? Um, I, number one, I don't think it's a great price. I know that we've got 20 million more than we would have got six months ago, but things change. He's a completely different player than he was six months ago. So you can't always say that. It's like saying a youngster cost you nothing and two years later he's knocking in all these goals. So we've made all this money. Well, no, don't sell him cheap. He might be good for you for the future. I would have preferred, and that's a bit silly, people might think, to sell Leno. Number one, you get more money for him. And number two, I think Martinez, on current on current form, is a better goalkeeper. His attributes outweigh Leno's attributes. He's much better in the air. He's bigger. He's stronger. When the ball gets shot at him, he, he, he catches the ball, or he stops it. He doesn't push it out. Everything about him, there's not one thing I. I'm not, I'm not gonna go at Leno. Look, he's yeah, fantastic, no, but fantastic. But if it was a it was a seesaw um, decision. I would have let Leno go. It wasn't going to happen because I don't think they ever dreamt of that happening in Arsenal. No. They were not going to do that. They see Leno as the future, but this Martin is just every game he played, he, he did something. He thought, God, I can't believe. Even coming out of players, he, he his size used to put on. Oh, He put off players Well that split second Coming out That little bit of difference The guy sees you Coming out A little bit of your eye A split second You stop You don't score And he did that So many times So I was just A bit disappointed Listen I think I think I'm turning the tables on this. I think Aston Villa Have got a fantastic goalie For 20 grand 20 million You think what Chelsea Have spent And um, all these other clubs have spent on big goalkeepers, and they're nowhere near, in my opinion, as good as him. So I think, mm-hmm. yeah, we might have done okay because it was worth nothing six months ago. But I think the people that, Villa buying a goalkeeper like that for twenty million, I think they've done quite well. Yeah, absolutely,
2: mm-hmm. definitely.
3: Yeah,
2: seventeen, seventeen million with three million add-ons yeah. if yeah. they stay up, apparently, which is I mean, a bargain if in the
3: league. You mean we're getting our three million?
2: No, no, they stay, I think it's if they stay up, funnily yeah, enough, yeah, however, yeah. however, people are forgetting that, people are forgetting that they've got Tom Heaton there as well, so is I just it, hope, yeah, I know, but it, I mean, it, it, I, hope, it, 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 I hope, I hope for Emmy's sake, that, you know, he's not going to start losing his place to Tom Heaton as well, because, I've obviously, gutted got cool, the bloke, yeah. but that, I mean, he put a, t- what was it, a 10 minute, a 10 minute, um, video out for, uh, you know, to say goodbye to all the Arsenal Brilliant. fans, and, uh, uh, he he actually requested to do that himself, and uh, yeah. I just, I, I can't oh. deny that I'm absolutely gutted to see him go. But one th- one good thing is that we haven't spent, you know, a lot of money to replace him. If this Icelandic guy um, does come in, which it looks like he very much is, then we've only spent like a, a million, million and a half uh, quid on him, which I'm quite happy yeah. about because... That's that's good good business and yes. the the uh, new goalkeeping coach is another brilliant uh, signing that we brought in. He has worked with him before and he recommended him, so that's good enough for me. Because uh, he, he, he's very fussy, this guy, this this goalkeeping coach, and um, so if he's recommended him, then I'm happy with that. So it, uh, I'm just glad we've only spent a million quid to replace Emmy because it means that we've obviously got the rest to put towards you know, another another signing to strengthen the squad. But, yeah, I can't deny I'm gutted that he's gone. Mm.
0: I mean, all, all I'd want to say really about Martinez is I, I think that what's happened is um, Arteta's, he, he was fortunate maybe that he got his chance after lockdown when Arteta had, had a chance to work with the team, speak to the players and make the team more defensively solid. Um, I think if Martinez had played at the start of the season under Emery, when we were getting opened up and opened up, when Leno was making all them saves, I don't know whether Martinez would have been as good as he was later in the season. I think the defensive stability of the team really helped him massively. Now, playing for Aston Villa, are they going to be as defensively solid in front of him? I don't think they are. And I think he's going to be exposed a lot more in the way Leno was at early in last season for us. And it'll be interesting to see how he deals with that because he's he's still a very inexperienced goalkeeper at the end of the day. He he put some good performances in for us, but he's very inexperienced for his age. For 28, he's hardly played a game, has he really, at the top level. Um, He played about 30 games for Arsenal and a lot of them were in the League Cup and the Europa League and stuff like that. He didn't play many Premier League games. So I think he was fortunate that he came in at the time that he did when the team were more defensively solid. Um, And I say it would be interesting for me to see how he copes at Aston Villa when there might be shots raining down at his goal, especially in certain away games that they'll play when they're going to probably get opened up quite a lot. So, um, I mean, good luck to him. I'm, you know, I'm I'm a bit disappointed that he's gone. But um, I I think we've made, if we had to sell one of the goalkeepers, I believe we've made the right choice. I think Leno was the number one. I think he is the number one. And I think he deserves to be number one for the performances over the last two years. I mean, what what do you think about it, Albert? Do Do you think that it was the right decision that we made? I mean, for 20 million as well? Firstly, it's su- this is this this is such
1: a great debate. Like, I, and I mean, we've had we've had debates about Arsenal players over the years where you've got people annihilating each other on social media. But <laughs> I think he's the one player, Martinez. Where I I, I share what the guys say because I see what Melvin said in terms of the money thing. Because if COVID didn't happen and we was to sell him, we definitely would have got more money than the twenty million. And I'm not sniffing at the twenty million either, but. Um, I think for me, I said I said this before, Rich, um, on other channels, like, um, I would have gone into this new season with him as number one. Um, Melvin makes a great point. He's more commanding. He's, he's, he's a massive unit of a goalkeeper. I didn't realise he was that tall. He's about six foot three. He commands yeah. the box brilliantly. Um, even some of the games, the back end of last season, where he literally had nothing to do. But when he was called upon, concentration-wise, First class, and um, Andrew make a good point about the um, the video um, that it, the, the video that he left. Now, I don't know too many footballers in my time. You guys see more football than I have, but even football generally, where a player who is leaving but hasn't technically left yet, sitting in the Arsenal training kit, mm. giving a video about his time at Arsenal, and I even troll through some of the messages on that Arsenal Facebook page thing. Right, normally you get one idiot. That, he, that says something stupid, but I couldn't find any. He even had a Spurs fan comment on the page. I saw the comment. He said, you know, even for a Spurs fan, I respect the guy totally. A lot of clubs would, in that position would not, would make it as difficult as possible for a player to leave the club. But he's the first, it was, a, it was a brilliant interview and he's right. You get some of these players that leave Arsenal when they go on Instagram or Twitter and say, oh, we thank the fans. But this one felt a bit different. Um, so I wish him all the best. He's going to have a lot of work to do at Villa, but um, I would have liked to see him stay. But I, but I, I said also as well. We, I personally feel. I don't know you what you guys think. I think we was the only club in the Premier League to have two goalkeepers. That should be number one. Chelsea can't say the same thing. Man City can't say the yeah, same they, thing. Oh, Chelsea, Chelsea yeah. can't say the same thing. Yeah. That's so true, yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, we had, we was fortunate or fortunate unfortunate, whatever way you want to look at it, that we had two goalkeepers that are are number ones. I I take the point that Martin has only been at Arsenal for 10 years plus and six low moves. And I know when he's at Reading in the Championship, they was gutted that that he left them and come back to Arsenal. and, And, you know, he took his opportunity off the back of Leno's misfortune, but he wasn't just good or okay when he came in. He was absolutely outstanding. So I get the Arsenal fan base, why they feel the way they feel. I know people saying, oh, we should have got 25, 30, 30 plus million for him, but that wouldn't have probably have happened about three, four, five months ago. Um,
0: and to be honest, going into... I mean, 100, 100 career games in 10 years, that yeah. doesn't make it worth more than 20 million to me, no matter how good the last 10, 10 of those games were. Yeah. You know, I, I don't feel that his career for 10 years, he's justified any more than 20 million. So I, I think we've yeah. got to him I, I, yeah, I, but I do, it's a good debate, Rich, you
1: know what I mean? I, so I see yeah. both sides of the argument. and It is I'm a great debate, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope he, has, I hope, I hope he keeps them up, to be honest with you.
0: I mean, I, I'm just a little bit disappointed that he didn't want to stay and fight for his place because yeah, it, say it, would have, it would have been interesting to see, because like you said, we had two first-choice goalkeepers or, or two goalkeepers that could become first-choice and it yeah. would have been interesting to see exactly how that would have panned out over the season because... No doubt, the second choice goalkeeper would have got games in the League Cup, in the Europa League, um, performed well, and then you never know they get an opportunity in the Premier League. So it, it's a shame maybe that he didn't, but maybe Arteta spoke to him and said, "Look, Leno's the number one. You're going to play in the cup games, and that's the situation." And maybe yeah. he just thought, I, "I want to play regular Premier League football." And you can understand why he wants to, of course. You know, yeah, of course. He's got for his chance, hasn't he, to do that? And you know, he. he, he performed well when he came in. So, I mean, I, I wish him good luck. And I think, personally for me, I think it's a good... We got a good deal for him. And like Andrew said, we, we're not spending much on his replacement. So, we've got a bit of more money coming in. And talking about that, obviously, there's a few more players that maybe might be on their way out. Torreira seems to be the next one, possibly, um, on his way out, doesn't it? I think there's a few bids from Italy coming in for him. Um, I don't know what we feel about that. Melvin, what do you think about Torreira, go? Do you think that would
3: be a good good thing to do now? Get rid It's of him? a good thing to do because... If we're gonna replace, you know, we're gonna get more midfielders, there'll be less, less chance for him. And he was not a starter at the moment with the midfield that we've got. I think we've got to cut our cloth accordingly. We can't afford to buy every player and keep every player. You know, and he in all seriousness, he he's a very good footballer. He's got a good football brain, but I don't think he's strong enough for Premiership. You know, when he first came here it was fantastic. He was really playing well. He got slightly injured and then people got the idea, all we've got to do with this guy is keep knocking him off the ball. Keep physically knocking knocking him off the ball. And he went down the ground. You know, not a big guy. There's very few players of that stature that can actually make it in the premiership. You know, the only one you can think of is the Chelsea midfielder who we didn't think was good enough a couple of years ago that came from Leicester. But, but, um, you know, I hope he has a great career as well wherever he goes, if he goes, but we can afford to let him go. And definitely yeah. we could do with the mummy
0: yeah, yeah no, exactly well, what about yourself Albert? do you think that it's, it's the right thing maybe now to, to to move him on 100% and you know why I say that because
1: even after his first season he did okay um, under Emery but there, there, to me there was too many he was obviously homesick and that's been put in the public domain for quite a while now um, there was just too many rumours linking him back to Italy with various clubs probably about for quite a while, to be honest with you, this is not this is not knee-jerk or something new to error. So, Melvin makes a good point. Physically, I'm not sure he's sort of up to up to it in terms of that. But what can we do? He's the size that he is. But um, if Arsenal keep telling us as fans that, we, like, or the media reports, whatever, that we have no money, then we need to. I mean, I think the rumour about it, it's going to be a, a year's loan, isn't it, with an option to buy? I, be, I believe or taking about a, probably a 4 million hit in total if it does happen. We're talking about a 22, £22 million pound figure. But, um, yeah, if if we're looking to improve the squad, and I've said this before, um, when Arteta came in and obviously improved some of the players, I was thinking to myself, but we can't want to sort of keep some of the same players that have been here for three, four-plus years, but then want to add more quality to it. We'll have a squad of about 300. So we need to make... <laughs> We need to make, we need to move some of these players on. You can you know. I'm not really a sentiment person, if I'm being honest, but you know, I want the best for the club, and if it means moving some of these guys
0: on, he wants to go back to Italy. That to me is obvious. So let him go. Yeah, no, I agree, Andrew. You, you just you feel the same about
2: Tamara? Yeah, yeah. Just just a couple of things, very very quickly. I've just put on the uh, in in the messages. There's a link to a. Um, Podcast that's the Graham Hunter big interview podcast that he did recently with Emmy Martinez. Okay. And it's a really good listen. So I just have a listen to that because it just shows you the character of the guy, his yeah. backstory, and why he is playing football and why mm. he was so desperate to achieve. And it's just a brilliant interview. So it's only relatively short. um But yeah, I've just put the link into the comments. So have a listen to that because I, I recommend it, and the last thing about Emmy Martinez is that I think regarding the the, the sale as painful as it is, ease, he didn't cost us anything, so everything we got for him is all profit yeah so if we would have sold Leno it's not all profit is it because we've we've already bought him for a decent amount of money, so that's another reason why it's the right, right choice yeah. really yeah um yeah. but Torreira, i'm I'm one of the few that never rated him. I, I, I don't. I don't think he's got a very good. I don't think he's a very intelligent footballer. I think he runs around a lot, and he looks like he's a very busy player, snapping around at everyone's heels. But I don't think he's an Arteta type player where you need to have the intelligence to understand how to play in in an Arteta team. Yeah, what I was saying about earlier about you know. Uh, you know, the, like the IX uh, type of total football, whereby you need to be uh, know what to do and when. You know, uh, with regards to if one player drops deep, you drop, you can, you, can, you go ahead. If you, you know, you cover other, or your rest of your teammates. I don't think he's got that type of tactical nous. Also, he. I think we'll agree. With there, don't
0: we? It, all agree do not
2: we He's t- he's too emotional. I, 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 it pisses me off when he start keeps come crying on the pitch. You I know, heard about, yeah, yeah. yeah I heard about you need it, yeah. to uh, you need to have a, you know you need to be mentally tough. I, I just don't think he's ever been suited to playing in the Premier League for me. He's, he's not got the stature that we need. He's he, he's and he just gets bounced off the ball far you know far too easily. And I, I think people going on about how Matteo Guidugli was running around like a headless chicken, and he was. But I think the same about Torreira a lot of the time as well. I don't think he's, he, he's, he's a very, so I'm not going to miss him. And I think he's always, always been going on about, oh, I'm homesick. I just don't want to go back to the, Italy. been for a, yeah, a while, yeah. That really annoys me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Because even if it's coming from his agent, he could easily tell his agent, look, just, can you just stop talking about me going back to Italy, please? I'm happy at Arsenal. That never happens. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. If, you, if you ain't committed to Arsenal, then, just just bugger off then mate you know i'll I'll just go back and the only thing i'm disappointed about is if we only get like an eight million loan fee and then the money next summer we need the money now so that that's that's annoying that but hopefully hopefully the owners might uh, see that the money's coming in and sort of just give us the you know the the money to borrow until next until next summer you know if, if you know what i mean but Mm. I don't know. I, I, I just wish we could have got a better deal for him. That was all. But I'm not sad to see him go. I don't think he's ever been suited to an Arsenal player as an Arsenal player.
1: Rich, oh, make yeah, a quick point. Sorry, mate. Um, we were to error. Um, it seems. It's t- I remember when I first saw him play. We um we was linked with him during the, the last World Cup, and um yeah. I remember playing, seeing him play against Portugal in the, in, the, in the last sixteen. I thought, I thought this guy, this guy is outstanding. I mean, obviously he plays in a different system for Uruguay. Yeah. I thought if we're linked with him, I'd be very happy. But if you fast forward to us getting Unai Emery, Emery didn't want Torreira. He wanted Inzonzi, he wanted Benega, and he wanted Fabinho. That was on his wish list. He got Torreira, and even when he even when he did play him, he played him as a ten. So I know. Yeah it's, the New it's, Eden hazard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, the the home six thing, like I said, this has been rumbling on for a very,
2: very, very long time. So uh, yeah, it to best for both parties, make the deal happen. It it's never seemed happy at Arsenal no. and, and from I'm sorry for, but for me, that says everything to me. I don't yeah. if you don't want to be here, just you shouldn't be here. And, yeah. and that is That is exactly what Arteta's been trying to instil, isn't it, and, yeah. uh, in the players. So I, I never took to him because of that, really. And, yeah. and it's always been the same. So, yeah, he, yes, he had a good few games and he, he'll yeah. always be remembered for that great goal against Spurs. But, no, nah, sorry, mate. You've never done it for me. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a shame. I think it's a little bit of a shame because he did, at the beginning, he looked really good, didn't he? The first maybe four or five games he played, he looked brilliant. And then... Um it's like Melvin said, everyone's did to suss him out. He was easy to push off the ball. And suddenly his influence just disintegrated yeah. completely,
5: didn't it? Um,
0: and yeah. whether that was part because Henry didn't want him, so he didn't play to his strengths maybe a little bit. I don't know. But it's, it has never worked out, has it? And, you know, yeah, I, I, I agree with Andrew. We need to sell him rather than loan him out, I think, yeah. if we can to get the money in. If we're going to get rid of him, get get rid of him and sell him and get the money in. And then with the Martin Estal, with the Torreira money one or two others that still might go, we, we might then have the money coming in
2: to buy the player that we really want. Um, or certainly one of the players that we really want. Um, and I'm if not we don't, sure. If we don't so sell it sure lot- whether is, is the Torino, because I know Fiorentina was going to be a loan initially and then and then buy yeah. next summer. But I don't know whether the Torino one is. I, I don't, is the, the Torino one might be... Just a straightforward yeah. purchase. Yeah. I'm not sure. You know, you know the issue
1: you with know you know a lot of the Italian clubs, are dead. Some, with, if, with the exception of probably
2: Juventus, most of them are skin. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's ridiculous. I know. But I, I, I haven't heard whether the Torino one.
0: Because so, the, yeah.
2: the, <laughs> the Torino manager was his manager at Sampdoria, isn't it? That's right. It's the same so,
0: yeah. guy.
1: Yeah. So
2: I. I know that they would desperately want him. So I, I don't know whether that's a loan to buy or not. I'm not sure.
0: Well, let's hope it isn't because let's hope we can actually get the money in for him because yep. I think it, for us, it's important, isn't it? If we're going to mm. be able to afford the players that we need, then we need to get as much money in as we can. And um, the only way we're going to do it is to sell the players as opposed to loaning them out. I mean, you know, if Rob Holding's going on loan, that doesn't really help us. If Torreira goes on loan, that doesn't really help us. <laughs> um, and, We just need to – I know we've got a different system now to deal with the transfers. Let's hope that they've got the right plan in place to to sort this out properly so we do get the money that we need and we can move forward with the players that we want. Otherwise, you know, we're going to miss out possibly Mm -hmm. on the one or two players that would make a massive difference to the team, and it would be a shame if that's simply down to the fact that we can't sell these players for what we need to sell them for, and that that would be – that's not necessarily down to the current people in charge of it, more to the regime previously that got us in this situation. Let's hope that the current um, people in charge can actually sort it out and get us out of the problem with it. That would, that would be great. And, I mean, there's a point Winter just made actually about Guendouzi as well. Why is anyone coming in for Guendouzi? Yeah, he's another player that we could I get the money you for. You know, we could get money for him as well, and we need to get him off the books. He's not going to play. Like Torreira, the two of them are sitting there, you know, um, having cakes on a Saturday rather than playing for us. You know what I mean? And we need to sort it out. We need to get yeah. the money. Rich, you know the problem with Guendouzi? Sorry, Andrew, mate, right? go on.
2: I was, no, I, I, you go first, you go yeah. first. I want yeah, to come in on Guendouzi though, but yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, the problem with Guendouzi, and, and this is no secret, when, even before we bought him, um, I know, you got probably familiar with Adam, is it Adam White from Get French Football News? And he said about um, Guendouzi's attitude, even when he was at Lorient in the, um, whatever division it was in France, his attitude stunk then. And it's, it's been numerous occasions where this has cropped up again. Uh, he's like, like I said, he's an adjunct Rabiot part two, so that's why nobody doesn't want him. If people
2: keep talking about God. Sorry, mate. It started at sixteen at PSG. He he was so arrogant at PSG. Yeah, he he yeah. thought he should be starting then, and he was yeah. going on. It uh, was keeping all back chats, or would have made the yeah. stars at PSG, saying he's better than them. And the problem that's is, that. right? I am actually pretty gutted about uh, Guendouzi because when he was playing under Unai Emery, and I've said this before, so, you know, I'm sorry, I think I said it last week on your show, Richard, so apologies for repeating Hello. myself, but <laughs> but he, but no, but it does annoy me because when he was under Unai Emery and playing every week, you can see there's a there's a raw talent there, but he was not, not being coached under Unai Emery at all and he was just doing what the hell he wanted on the pitch. And I was really, really looking forward to him working under Arteta. And there's no better place for him to be at the moment than being coached by Mikel Arteta. I think yeah, he could make well. him into a, qual- he's yeah. got the stature. He's got the potential ability. He's, he's big and tall enough. If he, if he could put a few like, you know, a bit more muscle on it, he's, he could be another Patrick Vieira type midfield enforcer, in my opinion. I think he's got the skills to do that, but. He's gonna. He's gonna. Oh, going end, about, uh, he. He's gonna end up being another Mario Balotelli, completely yeah, failing to fulfil his potential. Last time I heard, Mario Balotelli was on trial at a third division Italian club. And <laughs> yeah, look, how many years ago was it? Uh, you know, he went to uh manchester city it was only about well, six seven years ago maybe yeah. i don't know um, somewhere around yeah. that and look at the he was supposed to be one of the best strikers in the world at the time and the same thing is going to happen yeah. to guendouzi because yeah. the stupidity yeah. Yeah. he's got a, such a good opportunity here and he's going to throw it away well
0: yeah, i think he has thrown it away if we're honest because I, I can't yeah. pay him kid, actually but anyway we'll
3: see yeah, go, go on man. what were you going to add i am going to say that if you're going to be arrogant, it's not great to be an arrogant footballer, but if you are going to be arrogant, you've got to have the skill set to go with it. Yep. And at I the moment, know. he hasn't got it. So I, I, for yeah. me, it's a no-go for me with him. Yeah,
2: But we, we're stuck with him. I don't think we're going to get any offers for him at the either. moment. And unless, it. potentially, I think the best we could ever hope for is for him to go out on loan somewhere, which is going to do us no favours whatsoever. Because wherever he goes on loan... He's going to get an even worse reputation there because he's going to do the same things over and over and again. So,
0: somebody <laughs> in the Premier League would, would want to take a risk on him, though. Like you know, a, a sort of a mid-table Premier League team, he, he could do a job. He's, he's proved he can play in the Premier League. I mean, you know, he's not he's not the greatest midfield player in the world, but he's you know he's like you said, he's got potential. And I feel that uh, there'd be plenty of Premier League clubs he could do a job for. I can't understand why someone has at least come in for him and are right.
3: You're dead um, right, Richard. There should be a mid-table team who should come in for him, and that's why i been surprised he does
2: not like the Spurs. He yeah. he would be he would I mean, be the sort of person though that would think it's. But thing is, when you it's yeah. like I get sick to sick to the back teeth if ever it comes up all the time. Why don't we? Why don't we loan Urza? Why don't we loan Urza and pay half his wages? Because I mean, I get sick of saying the same thing over and over and over again because Urza would not agree to it because Urza will say no, and he's going to stay put. Yeah. Now, I, I can see Guendouzi being something, a similar sort of um, attitude whereby he will think going to a mid-to-lower league, uh, Premier League team will be beneath him, and he will just say, no, I, I'm going to fight for my place, blah, 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 blah. He will see it as beneath him because he's he's so arrogant in the wrong way, you know. I, 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 I'm not saying that it for definite, but I could just see that happening quite easily with Guendouzi yeah. and just refusing to go to a, a lower a lower Premier League team. But you
0: see, that that attitude, if you like, is potentially costing us the opportunity to get new players in, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah.
0: and by the players that we need, we need to, to get rid of people, don't we? It's quite obvious that there's a lot of players that have hardly played under Arteta. I mean, obviously, Guendouzi's one, Socrates is another one. Obviously, was not hardly played uh, we've not played at all since lockdown, so you know these are people that we need to move on, and the problem is getting people to take them, it seems isn't it with some well, of them you know it's, it's,
2: it's it's we like we actually have to we have to reduce our squad by two yeah. foreign yeah. players because of the quota as well, yeah. so we're in a bit of we've got a bit of pressure there uh, but i I saw a strong link that um some I can't remember which team it was in Germany now that are, are making a ten million off of Klasnac, and yeah. if we can get ten, if we get ten million for Klasnac, yeah, bonus. I'll absolutely rip, yeah. rip their arm off. Did you I mean, read that? That'd be amazing.
3: That included his house as well. His house is worth <laughs> five million. But I tell you something, as a club. If we bite the bullet, which we hopefully we will do, and sell players. For less yeah. than perhaps where it we're worth to get the money in and do the sums oh, correctly, I tell absolutely. you something. Listen to this. I tell you something. If we get this uh, O'R, who's twenty-two years old, yeah, in the next three or four years, we hardly have to spend any money. Yeah, the back four are very young, very young. The goalkeeper can go on for another five, six years, easy. You've yeah. got this twenty-two-year-old, hopefully coming in midfield. But yeah. I know we've got a Bammy hanging two, three years time won't be there. But you've got Martinelli coming through, so you can. That's for me. It's not quite like for like, but position wise, it is. Yeah, of course. You've, you know, and you've got the other youngsters we have got in the team. I tell you something. Where have we got to spend a lot of money? unforeseenly, in the next three years, I think that we can actually, all of a sudden, be a club that we. You know what? Just let it all roll on. Then it all on. We don't have to make these big sales and big buys. We just slowly, slowly pick one player a season that we need, spend the money on him and the, and the rules will keep moving. So I'm very, very confident if we bite the bullet, get rid of the rubbish, as I've said it before, if you keep the poor players, though you don't intend to, they will play for you at some this stage. This the, really the
2: only problem, getting rid of them because of the salaries. Difficult, and, very uh,
3: difficult, yeah. Uh, do you know,
2: can I make can I make one more point as well about Lacazette, if I may? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I found out some interesting information that apparently we've got to if we sell Lacazette, we've got to pay we've got a thirty five percent uh fee we need to pay back to Leon. Thirty five percent. That would yeah. surprise me. That Leon must have put something in there. Um... Leon buy a sell on clause for thirty five per cent. So that, that I mean I didn't know that before. That is a oh. that is a big, big hold on a bug. minute. Are you sure? Absolute. Give well, it, absolutely, well,
3: absolutely, yeah. Depending on what we make on him, I can understand. That's what. It really
2: no, no. Is. So if we sell him for, you know, yeah, 30, forty we got to give thirty-five percent of that forty million back to Leon. So, the point, another great, another great yeah. bit of signing. Up,
3: well done. The
2: point I was going to make as okay. well is, yeah, I, like, I don't think we'd replace him anyway because my. I've always thought that because of the role that he plays in the team dropping he's not he's not playing as a number 9 he hasn't been for for months he oh. he's he's playing in the whole uh, you know behind the, you know the the where the striker would play and he has been for ages uh, and I think that William when when we initially got William I thought that, that he's going to take over from the Lacazette position with Saul Lacazette and, and because he will play in the same area of the pitch that Lacazette yeah. has been playing but yeah. he's a specialist in that role so he would do it a lot better than Lacazette is. Lacazette's working his socks off and doing as, as hard as he can but he would never be a no. specialist in that false nine position uh, so I I think that we wouldn't have to replace him but also, I think people are underrating Eddie because I think he's a really, really good finisher. And, uh, uh, you know, again, he's not yeah. quite ready to play every single week. Mm. But he showed, he showed for England the other day his calmness in front of goal. He's a born finisher and uh, he's a proper penalty box, number nine, which is what we really do need. So longer term... You know, in, in in another season or so, I think he's going to be ready to go. I really do. I think he's underrated, Eddie.
1: I think, with, I'll just come with, with Eddie quickly. Um, I, I want to see, I probably want to see what he does this season because I still want to, he's still young. Yeah. Yeah. What type of striker is he? Is he box to box? Is he running behind? It, I, 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 I and he still need to see, I'm not going to sing the praises for him yet. He's done well for london 21 I'll take that on board but I want to see what he does sort of for this season. But um, Melvin made a good point earlier about um the recruitment at Arsenal and the spending because it literally it, it literally is and I'm not I'm not talking about league titles here just to make that clear um but we are it's it's, it's literally it's a couple of players i for example Partey and Jose Mayor if if this is just to say if we get those two for example you can be more than a bit positive, to be honest with you, because we've got the Definitely. right head coach. Yeah. But we, we're going to, we would potentially be getting two players that we don't have at Arsenal that will play in the pockets as a number 10, goals and assists, and then we've got the physicality of a party, which we don't have. Hence the reason why I was crying that we've got someone like Decore, but it is what it is. But um we are, for me, it literally is a couple of players for people to sort of sit up and take notice and think, you know what? this. Arsenal seems looking a bit tasty here. They've addressed in the right areas. They've actually, for once in their lifetime during a season, in terms of a summer window, addressed the spine of the team, which we haven't addressed for a very, very long time. Um, Like I said to you before, with Gabriel, for example, obviously we didn't know a lot about him. He's still young. He's still raw. Had a good season in um, Liga 1, um, playing in the two. But he, he excites me. And I think physically, he's a big unit as well. Physically, I thought, it, particularly in the first half against Fulham, just going kind a of b- bit of a tangent, but physically he dealt well with Camera. There was two op- like chances in game where Cam- Camera is a unit as well. Yeah, it? he's a unit. Yeah, he's quick. He don't get a lot of goals, but he's quick and he's a unit. But he dealt with mm-hmm. him on a couple of occasions physically. I thought, yeah, we've got someone who's imposing and you know physical presence. And yeah, we you know it's a couple of players away though, guys.
2: Couple of players. Do you know what? I, I, if we do get these two players, well, it is a big if. Yeah, big if. But I, I, I will definitely. I would, I'm, I don't care what anyone says. I would, I would put us down as possible title challenges yeah, because yeah. of a, because of Mikel Arteta, and, and we would have a, a squad to cope. He, yeah, that's the key thing you said. We, With, he, he is uh, again. Uh, Arteta is under still underrated. He, he's just such a good quality uh, guy. He, he. Just, I don't put anything past him. Hmm. I, I think they would be utterly transformational if we got both of them our would, own party would, absolutely 100% I, I wouldn't put anything past us and i would i could see us keeping pace with with man city and liverpool no no problem and uh, it still goes unnoticed uh, and I, I don't know i've said it a few times on on different podcasts but liverpool aren't the same team since in 2020 They've, they've lost a lot of games, you know. They've won seven out of... I, I saw the stat earlier. That, but anyway, before lockdown, they lost four out of the last six. They yeah. lost how many uh, after lockdown as well. They're not looking wow. as cohesive. They're they not as good yeah. as they used be to be. be I lot don't lot. think... I, I, I see Man City going big still before the end of the transfer window. I, I see them uh, winning the league this year. But... Yeah. Yeah, we've already seen Arteta be able to outcoach Pep in the yeah. semi-final. Pep had no answers to what we were doing. You know, he—you could see, you could see—Pep uh, was so pissed off about losing to him, but he had no answers to what we were <laughs> He was, <laughs> he was. He kept looking around, saying he was talking to himself when he think forgetting <laughs> yeah. that Arteta ain't behind him no more, pulling the strings. Uh But uh, I'm being, you know, uh, seriously though. We've already seen in a short space of time the difference he makes yeah. with players, and yeah. the fact that he can outcoach Klopp, he can outcoach Pep. And I, I, if we did get those two players, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we go all the way this year. Maybe not, maybe fall short this year, but next year I, I could see us seriously mounting a serious inbounding the title challenge. And I'm not even. Scared to say that, and I don't care who says what. You know, anyone, anyone can sort of uh, say what they like to me, but I, that's what I believe. I genuinely believe I, I, I've got I, some.
0: I agree with you. I, I agree with you, definitely.
2: I
3: mean, Mel, the... would you, you here, yeah. well, was it about earlier? Sorry? So, so, yeah. Yeah, what I was going to say was um, if we do think it's right to sell Lacazette, what about it as a deep line centre forward? Like Lacazette has been playing, Pepe, yeah. you played in that position.
2: Yeah, they have yeah, said that. Pepe could.
3: Yeah. Pepe and could Pepe work.
2: and um, Pepe and Willian could quite easily just just rotate and, and just swap positions, and it'll be a that nightmare be for quite, defenders. That would be, be a quite nightmare for defenders
3: because they can't afford to to jump in on Pepe like they do when he plays wide. They give away a free mm. kick, big deal on the wing. He's playing just the, outside the area they don't want to give
2: away three kicks against us. And, and do you know yeah. what about Eddie as well? He is an Arteta type of player, hundred percent because he does what he's told. Yeah. He's such a hard worker as well, uh, with regards to the closing down. He, he, he is so coachable and that's why Arteta lo- loves him. And you can tell that a million miles away that he's got a lot of faith in the guy. And also, um, Ian Wright's been coaching him and taking him under his wing for the last two or three years, and it, it, he could the exact type of the striker that he is. I know that you said that um, earlier, Albert. What kind yeah, of yeah. guy is he? He's, yeah. he's, he's a penalty box striker, He's just finisher, yeah. born finisher. Yeah. But he's a really hard worker as well. And the way that Arteta wants us to press from the front, he he will do that for ninety minutes no problem. He's got all the energy and enthusiasm and he's desperate to succeed for arsenal and that's why i've got a lot of faith in the guy. Yeah, you see said I was talking on from sorry Richard and um, what Andrew's talking about
1: Arteta. You know what it is with Mikel Arteta? Um and i think people are very very aware how good this the potentially and how good this guy is because if you just all you have to do is talk to rival football fans. They're not stupid, they know deep down whether they're shitting it or they 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 know. You can i i feel it with the mates that I know that support other football clubs, they know deep down they can't do the whole Wenger thing, and we want Wenger to stay and all that. No, that then times have gone now, and they can see it now. When they're a bit, they might not admit it to you guys or like your people you know who support other clubs, but they know, mate. They're thinking, you know what, this guy's se- this guy's serious. He's not he's not one to be messed around with, and they they know it, mate. They know it, and like I said, it's a couple of signings just to. Back this
2: guy, man, I'll tell you, seriously, yeah, hundred percent. We'll lose him otherwise. And yep. what I'm what I'm wondering is, and I'm going to I'm going to tweet, uh the oracle after after this show. <laughs> you, you know, he, obviously, with um, he, he's got this new title because he's he, he's he's not been the coach since he's been here. They they they, yep. they notice very quickly that he's uh, he's got so much more to offer the club. So yep. he's the t- team manager now. I'm one. I I hope. And I don't know whether this is the case, but I hope that with that, he got a new contract uh, and hopefully they extended it at the same time. Because seriously, yeah, uh, the, uh, Man- Pep Guardiola is not going to be at Man City for much longer. No. I-, I can tell, it, tell you that now. I think he might be off to um, New York City, you know, because of the, the, the City group. I-, I reckon he might be off there personally. But they will be after Arteta. No, pro- no, no worries about that at all. You know, yeah, and even I, I, even the yeah. even the club like Barcelona might be after him because he's he's already been noticed around Europe. No, no question. So I just hope that when he got this new job the title, and, and I yeah. hope he got a new contract at the same time, and the time down for even longer. But I, I don't know that.
0: Contract, he can never ever leave the club ever. Just put that in, so he, he's got no choice. Basically, we just padlock him to the gate, so he can't leave.
1: Yeah, because mm-hmm. Rich, 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 I said to you on another, um, I think it's on Ryan's show, on Ryan's podcast show, I said to you, um, I think I can't remember what game it was after Arteta was talking and I said that, don't be surprised because this guy is he's an articulate, intelligent guy, he's not stupid. Don't be surprised if you turn on your phone one day and you see something from BT Sport or Sky Sport flashed up saying that Arteta's left because you need to back this guy otherwise he will, he will walk. And I said that towards the end of last season. Andrew, you're right, spot on. Now, we, now we've got more time in the job. He's still relatively new, but, you know, people are watching this guy and they're thinking, you know what? Like you said, Guardiola's not going to be around forever. There will be a jobs available. There's always jobs available for managers. Football works like that,
2: but... I mean, yeah,
0: we're we're with,
2: yeah, here, isn't yeah? it's the same for not it? right. Yeah, spot on, 100%. Yeah. Man City are, you can tell, they're already gutted that they've lost him. And, yeah. and they've, they've not been quite the same team since he left. No. Uh, so I think they'll be straight in for him as soon as uh, pet mm. I won't be surprised if they're already trying to tap him up. But one thing that I am confident <laughs> about is that he everything that he hard, says right? about... Well, this is what I mean. I was just going to say, one thing I'm confident about is that he is straight up. He tells the truth. Even uh, even Aubameyang said that in this video with uh, with Ian Wright and, and that when he uh, was talking about that. He is straight up. He is honest, and he, I, I, t- I firmly believe that he's absolutely in love with Arsenal, and he, he will do everything he can to take us back to the very pinnacle of European football. And I don't think he would just walk out. But we, de- never, never. <laughs> we definitely, we definitely back. need to back his out. We need to back, back his ambition. Yeah, 100%.
3: of course we do. Well, you've back. got to think this guy. Watched us play a week before he signed for us, and we were useless against City. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. So. You yeah. think the guy's got something in his soul about us, because yeah. otherwise, why on earth would anyone want to manage the Arsenal as it was? Yeah. It was yeah. it was hopeless. Yeah.
0: It says on your thing the only way is Arsenal. The only way was up from there, though, wasn't it? So any manager coming in with Arsenal, all I can do is improve them because they're that bad. And yeah. you know, maybe, I mean, I think he is an Arsenal man now, isn't he? And he, he dreamed of having the Arsenal, he said it, didn't he? So I think he came to Arsenal because he, he wants to be manager of Arsenal and that's that's what it comes down to. And as long as the club <laughs> back with what he wants, I think he'll stay for as long as he needs to stay to get us where he wants to take us, which is winning the big trophies again, isn't it? Getting us back in the yeah. Champions League, first of all, winning the Premier League and then going on to win the Champions League. That's his ambition for Arsenal. And I can see him, if the club back him, I can see us doing that.
3: You know, that is, he's got the ability. That is so much more important, Richard, than us giving him another contract. Yeah. Because if he doesn't want to be here, he won't be here. Yeah. Right. And if another club comes knocking, they'll come knocking him out of the it. If you give him what he wants, yeah, and, and he's got his heart in this club, which I believe he has, then I don't think you have to give him another contract. Not to save money, just to make the point. We give him the risk, show him the the respect, give him what he wants, let him go with it, and I think you won't have to give him another contract the time down. Because sometimes you give these managers, not him, you sometimes give these managers and players fantastic contracts. Look what happens.
2: you've got to protect this this guy, is the most important thing about Arsenal at the moment, in my mind. Arteta, Mm -hmm. so uh, I read. an interview, when he actually signed for Arsenal from Everton, he said that even when he was at, um, you know, a young guy at La Masia at Barcelona, he he actually, when he knew it wasn't going to actually make it at Barcelona, the the club he wanted to come to at that point was Arsenal because they, they were the most closely resembled team in playing style and philosophy at Barcelona. And he's, he, he couldn't come straight to Arsenal for one reason or another, but he wanted to get over to the UK, and that, his whole plan all along when he left Barcelona was to one day eventually get to Arsenal, and that was this is going back to obviously when he was a player. So I do firmly believe he loves the club and um, uh, he will do anything you know to, to make it successful again. But at the end of the day, money talks, and, yeah. and if he is, he said to William that. About this three-year plan to win the Champions League, which has convinced Willian to come over. I do That's not bullshit or anything. That's just, he believes that. that. He is an elite guy with an elite mentality. Yeah. That is what he wants to achieve. But if it gets to um, maybe even next summer, and we haven't, we still haven't got the players that he wants that can take us to that next level. He's still only human, and he could be—he could quite easily be tempted away um, with someone that will back his his ambition. No matter how much he loves the club, it's a modern-day football society we live in, and is there such a thing as as long-term loyalty anymore? Really, uh, I, I, I don't know. No. No. But I believe what he says. I believe what he says now. But if we don't. Um, you know, like I say, if we don't sort of match his ambition personally as, as a club, then it's going to be a different story.
3: Yeah, I mean, people are laughing that he said he wants to the champ. We can win the Champions League in three years. They're laughing. I would have laughed at him when he might have said we could win the FA Cup this season. We <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. was the
1: chances of that? Right? Yeah. It was before yeah. the start of the the start of the, the start of the season? We was um was he forty to one to win forty to one to win the Premier League
2: beating Fulham is down to 25 to 1 I thought was, I, there was 200 to 1 I saw uh, yeah, at one point I, I'm, I, I'm absolutely I'm, I'm absolutely gutted that I didn't put a <laughs> I'm, good I'm on right. that but then, there was a when, when uh, that Willian story broke out about you know this three year plan to win the Champions League there was um, I don't know I can't remember the fan of another club just mocking it and saying oh, you know mm. uh, making a joke and I said um I started. Uh, I couldn't help myself. I started. Well, this is the this is the difference between having an elite mentality and just being a normal um, footballer or whatever. Normal coach, you, you have to have that elite mentality and say, "I want to go into every single match, every single competition I go into. You have to go into it to win, yeah. and it, it's the only way to 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 actually achieve your goals." And to uh, to get better all the time. Do you think Roger Federer in his prime? Do you think he went into every tournament thinking he was going to win it? Of course he did, because he's, he's absolutely at the top of his game. He's an elite guy, and I think when Arteta has got this elite mentality, and you know, he firmly believes what he's saying, and yeah. I, you know he will do he will do everything he can. Well, I remember that when he was um, uh, he was living alone. I think when he first moved down here. And he had all. He just let like, his, his walls were plastered with like uh, cuttings and and uh, diagrams and tactics and all this sort of stuff. And I said, "Well, he's got like a, he's got like this unpo- obsessive com- dis- disorder where he's like a serial killer, you know? Where he's got all like, pictures of all his victims all over the wall with all that sort of stuff because that's so single-minded. But yeah, he is totally devoted to achieving greatness. This is the guy's mentality, and that's what I love about him. But yeah. I, and it, 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 everything he said about Terwillia and I firmly believe that that is what he believes that we can do achieve, to win the Champions League in three years time uh, so it, if we can get this uh, our and party I, I don't, I've got no doubts that we might not win it but I think we'll be give it a damn good go this year already you know if uh, if we can get those two it would be transformational
3: yeah. but isn't yeah. it I mean sorry Richard isn't it no, important no. for me it's not nearly as important but nearly there. We're all, we're all behind the team. We're all behind the players. We're all behind the club. And if we don't win the league, which I don't think we will, but we might do, but if we don't, it, to me, it, I'm so happy about the way the club's going, momentum-wise. Mm. It, I, I've, I've supported Arsenal for just a couple of years and there's been times <laughs> where we've been absolutely, no. Once, once you come to November, we know we're not going to win the league. And yet I love going to every game it's not all it's listen we all love to win but sometimes you've got to put a sprinkle of something else on it and that's what we've got at the moment we've got a sprinkle of magic and it's really good feel factor about this club which i haven't felt personally about 10 or 15 years no i feel like a kid again
2: uh, to be perfectly honest like uh, uh at the beginning of this season I, I can't remember a season where i felt more excited about how we are progressing uh, i since i was a little kid you know and um uh, you know going through the, with the 89 team after because i've been like i say I, I was all the way through the 80s and we would we were dog shit in the 80s we were awful
3: that know, was we good
2: a, yeah i know <laughs> exactly and uh, when it got to the uh, 89 and i was like uh, i was sort of sick sick about 16 years 15 16 years old uh, i was really excited then about all the homegrown players coming through and that when we we, we showing that we were actually challenging for the title i I was on cloud nine i was really excited and then the only other feeling i had since then was like when wenger took over and we started seeing that how we were starting to develop and play again absolutely over the moon i never thought i'd see arsenal play football like that and we were awesome you know to watch but since then since like the early 2000s it you know we we've been very very up and down haven't we and uh I've never uh, this season. I feel more excited than I've done in in the last couple of decades because of I can just see what I can just see what's happening behind the scenes and the changes that he's making and well, like I say, the now. back the backroom staff and all that sort of stuff. It's just fan, it's just well, we're brilliant. On the, we're on the up now. You think we've been on the
0: way down probably for fifteen years, slowly, yeah. slowly going down and down and down, and that's been where we've been going. And now, a bit like the COVID cases, we're on the way up again. And it, it's that kind of that travel journey that we're on. And that's why we're excited, because we can see now that we're actually going to be moving forward as to where we've been for the last 10 years. And that's exciting, isn't it? Because we, we've had to watch us drop down from the Invincible team slowly, slowly, slowly get into- You know, further and further away from where we want to be, and now we can see the light there that we are actually heading back in that direction. And it's not going to happen overnight. I mean, you know, I agree. If we get them two players, we could win the league this year. I don't. I think it's going to be a lot more of a tighter league. But even if we don't, it doesn't matter because we can see that we're going in the right direction. And even we know now. I I certainly feel as well. I know you guys do.
2: You know, the next three
0: or four seasons are going to be a lot better than the last three or four.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. We um, we just want to be a challenger again, don't we? We just compete, want to be again, yeah. really challenging yeah. and going into games, really feeling that we can it's win.
0: We want coming back on the way up. That's 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 what it's all about for me. Yeah, that's where we, we want teams it's, to
2: it's fear romantic, us
3: again. Yeah. yeah, and also the last four or five years, we've been the butt of a lot of jokes.
4: Yeah, I've never yeah. known that
3: before. We were like people making up jokes about us, and the problem was. I don't mean this as a joke. We had no defence. What they were saying was probably true. And, and you to, to sit there and think, you know what, I'd like to get back at these, but what am I going to say? There's nothing yeah. to say. And even when, when it must be horrible, for, for I haven't been away uh, for a long, long time, but listening to people when they come out the ground away when we've been slaughtered by a lower team saying we want Venka to stay, things like that, that was heartbreaking, absolutely yeah. heartbreaking. And yeah, that is exactly. where we got to. If I was the director of Arsenal at that time, I used to hear that. I'd have said, hold on, that's enough now. I don't forget about the home fans jeering. This is even worse, in my opinion. The away supporters of a very low club taking the mickey. That is something that the Arsenal shouldn't have done to them. Yeah.
2: No, we're one of the best teams winning. in the world. We used to win a lot of games in the tunnel before we even set foot on the pitch because teams were scared of of, of, uh, of playing us. And I wanted us to get but that Back to that sort of situation where we are one of the best teams, and teams fear. Uh, you know, it, it's like us uh, over the last few seasons. Whenever we've played Liverpool or Man City, we 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 know that we're going to lose uh, already, don't we? Yeah. We say, oh, "I've got Man City next week. Oh, who we got after that, we might get a win there." We we we, we uh, d- a conceded defeat before the the match. Uh, I want other teams to feel like that when they come to Arsenal. I want, I want all our opponents to think, "Oh, we've got Arsenal next week," but you know we ain't going to get nothing there. That's what we should. Every team should feel like that about playing Arsenal. Those are coming, you know, in the next year or two.
0: That's that's where we'll be. That's that's what's exciting for me. You know, this this season's almost like a free hit, isn't it? Because we're going to be better than last year. We're going to be better than the year before. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And if if we finish top four, if we win the league or if we do something brilliant, fantastic. If we don't, it doesn't matter because we know next season is going to be even better. The season after that is going to potentially be even better than that. And, you know, it won't take us long until we are, certainly temporarily, because everything only lasts for a short period of time, but we're back where we want us to be, where we've been sort of, you know, where we've dropped down from, really, and we're just on our way back. And to me, that's, that's what I like about it. And of course, with Aubameyang signing his contract as well, He's going to be a big part of that growth, isn't he, as we move forward, helping the club move forward. I think it was important that we signed him on this deal. And I don't care how much money he's getting. I'll just give him everything that we've possibly got because he's that important for us to keep him. If we'd lost him now, everything that we've been trying to build, our Arteta building his team around him, would have been thrown out of the window. So it was massively important. So that, that was probably the best signing that we could make this summer anyway. And now we're in a great position. We've got him for three years at least, which is going to be, you know, three years. You're looking at what 100 goals probably from him over the next three years, roughly, mm-hmm. maybe more even, you know. And we can now build Arteta can now build it that team he wants around. You know the around best the, thing
2: about the, the best thing got, about the Birmingham ring signing as well? Uh, when you actually listen to his chat with Ian Wright and everything, and he said the reason he signed was Arteta and. Yeah. It was during the lockdown and, um, he was, you know, supposed to be doing their homework and all that, which is, which is fantastic as well, by the way. <laughs> but he said, um, uh, at that point when he had that conversation and he persuaded him, uh, Arteta had only been with the club for three months. Yeah. If you, if you remember that part of the conversation he had with Ian Wright, three months. Yeah. And he made that difference. That is, that's it all about the, the quality of the man. The quality of uh, uh, Arteta and the... play,
0: Aubameyang would have would have left. There's no doubt. Yeah, I
2: know. Absolutely, hundred percent. And he turned that he turned it around in three months after looking like relegation candidates, uh, which we were at that. But you know, we were only going, which we couldn't buy a win, could we? And in three months, he had persuaded a player, one of the best strikers in world football, that his future still lies at Arsenal, and that's incredible.
0: Yeah, and that's to me, that that's the best news we've had all summer. That he signed, I mean, we, we kind of knew it was going to happen, but to actually have it confirmed and say so to hear the interview as well, it's great to un- get an understanding as to why he signed it. He hasn't just signed it for the money. Yes, I'm not saying that's not important, but he signed it because he wants to be part of this, he wants to make a legacy at the club and he wants to be part of this new kind of thing with Arteta. And that's great to hear, isn't it? And hopefully, yeah, Arteta. Persuade a few other
2: players to come and join us as well. I mean, you know, all the players are happy. You can see all the players are happy, aren't they? And also,
3: what, what people don't mention, and we've had a big dig at them over the years, but the, the owners have had to put the money up. You know, he doesn't yeah. just tick a box. They've actually physically got to go, you know what, we're backing you. We're going to give you, we're going to back the manager. You want to keep yeah. it's going to cost us a lot more, but we're going to back him financially. Yeah. It may not. May not be a lot of sense, but well, we know where you're coming from. How important this guy is, we're going to push the boat out, and they have done. So people keep knocking them; they should have been knocked. I'm not getting. Don't get me wrong. The owners should have been knocked, but at the moment they're doing the right things. And so, yeah, absolutely. The right since now. they
2: since they took over 100, percent they've actually done a good job. I think they've got a lot of bad press, but since they got the full ownership, which wasn't that long ago, they, they, they have done a lot of good stuff and. What would they need to do now? Because if we can't, if we can't get these players out of the club, all these players we know we need to sell—yeah, you know, Mustafi, Kolasinac, um Socrates, etc., cetera, et cetera, If we can't, get, haven't got enough time to get rid of them in the window. We—it's so important. I, I, if they can just say, right, we. W- like Stan Kroenke said, right, well, you can have the $100 million to go and buy these two players, but I want every single penny back You're, once you've sold these players, because we could do it in January or whatever, uh, we, and we need that money back. We need to make some sales. We know that. So if we... You will sell those players or sell some players, if not those ones, someone else, but I want that $100 million back. But here it is up front so you can go and get them. I, even that, I wouldn't mind. I would not mind that because... That would at least show that... Because Swiss Ramble put out uh, another thread oh, the other yeah, day and it, uh, Stan Kroenke still hasn't put a single penny into the club. Five
1: years, in it? Yeah, over five years. Yeah, yeah.
2: It, not one penny, but I, I still can't knock them apart from... Because they're, they're making the changes now, like um, that Tim Lewis guy is, is another great appointment to the board. Because he's going to keep a close eye on everything that we're doing. Getting rid of Raul, I, I was so overwhelmed. That came out of the blue, and I, you know I, I've been banging on about Raul being the worst thing at the club for ages, and I was I, I was absolutely delighted when that happened. Uh, but they're, they're starting to actually because the, their biggest problem was. Not keeping a close eye on what was going on in the club that they were just letting things go and, and letting Raul just run riot and sit back with his feet up, smoking a big fat cigar and pocketing loads of money out of the club without doing bugger all but uh, finally they've got, they 're getting the house in order and we look like we we've, we've got a good set now, but if they can, if we can't sell these plays in order to raise the funds for those two players that we need. It would just be nice if they could just say, right, here it is up front, and I, I want it back as soon as you can get the, the some player sales to, to, to give me the money back. Why well, don't we
0: just set up a GoFundMe page and just do it ourselves?
2: Right. <laughs> I, 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 I'll we tell you what.
0: Right. We could probably raise the money, you know. If we put a GoFundMe page on, on social media, there's so many Arsenal fans around the world that probably donate to it. We could probably raise the money to buy both of them players and, and have enough for a pint of beer afterwards.
2: Yeah. I know it's a good idea. It's a good if idea. Not, <laughs> uh, if not, if out. we don't, if we don't, quite make it, then we'll just split the money between us. Aren't yeah, yeah. I'm, very, I'm very happy with that. Yeah, go on.
0: We can go on holiday, or we can't go on holiday, can we? We, no, no, we, we can't. can't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> have one big fuck, one big house party. Yeah, we just have to stay at home on our own. That's yeah. all we we're allowed <laughs>
0: to do. Um, just sort of moving on. I mean, going on to this, this weekend coming up. I mean, there's there's um, there's a few potentially good games. Just do just yep. a few predictions just um, on a few of the games. We did it last week as well. We start with Man United's first game at home to Crystal Palace. What do we think about that, Melvin? What's your prediction for that, Man United-Crystal Palace? Only, I think
3: they only get one penalty United. <laughs> <laughs> in each half. <laughs> yeah, well, one. Oh. I think United penalty, a bit. again. <laughs> You've got a fancy United to win 3-0. I fancy 3-0. 3-0, okay. Uh, Albert, what about yourself for that one?
1: Yeah, uh, Melvin, Yeah, same here, mate. I've gone from Man United to 3-0. I can't see Palace scoring. They, 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 the problem with Palace, you can't score goals. No. And nobody can score. So, yeah, 3 nil
3: to May and Albert, Albert, great minds think alike. Don't forget that, all right? Of course, no. Of I think a as well, Huh? you?
2: It's a clean sweep. I, I was exactly feel the same, 3 nil. 3 as well. Okay,
0: fair enough then. I actually don't think May and are that good. I think they'll win. I think it might be 1-0, actually. I think they might scrape it with a penalty, probably. But yeah, be a bit closer. I don't think Palace are a bad side, they just can't score goals, can they? They did win no, out they out season as well, I think, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't think it'll be an easy, as easy as that. I think many will probably just win, um, yeah, probably 1 0 with a penalty. Uh, the next game, if we look at it should, be a, it, should be a good game Southampton against Tottenham. Neither team have got a point in the league after their first game, um, and of course, Southampton got knocked out of their uh, league cup as well the other night on penalty, yeah. so um. This could be an interesting game. What do you think about that one, Melvin? Southampton, Spurs? 1-0. Oh, 1-0. Yeah. That seems pretty reasonable. How about yourself for that one? You know what? If it wasn't
1: for the recent events of transfer activity, Tottenham might get a little bit of a boost. I actually would have gone for Southampton, but I've actually gone for Spurs 2-2-1. Two two oh. Spurs Disappointed,
2: you, didn't you, Albert? Disappointed, yeah. didn't you? Yeah,
0: it's not good. It's not good, is it, for this first win? Surely you're not going to do the same, Andrew, are you? Surely
2: not. 6 nil, Southampton, move on. He's <laughs> <laughs> <Danny laughs> into the last as well.
0: But... <laughs> I mean, I, I, Southampton, actually, they lost last week to Paris, but I thought they played quite well. I, I can yeah. see them Beating Spurs, I, I mean Spurs, great through that um, Europa League tie tonight, didn't they? Yeah. When they had nine men, so I think Southampton will win. Actually, I'm, I'm the only one who thinks, apart from obviously Andrew, I, th- I think Southampton will win. Maybe, maybe one or two nil. Actually, um, I think
2: uh, Southampton are a very, very good team with a very good yeah. manager. Actually, yeah. I, 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 I they started the, the bad start obviously like, uh, last weekend, but I think yeah. they are. I think they're they're definitely dark horses. With, with, I definitely think they should be top ten, but that manager is a is a really really good manager. I think I he be, got yeah. them he got them playing brilliantly last at the end of last season.
3: Yeah, uh,
2: to come back from a, from that nine 0 defeat That's that concrete. shows a, yeah, a, a hell of a lot of character. That does yeah, really yeah. really good. And they play some good stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I quite mm-hmm. like watching Southampton. Actually, I think they play good football,
2: and um, they have got well, one good. of the best kits in the league. I love their kit. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, well, oh, have a look at it! It's a gorgeous kit. Prop- yeah, so you know, I'll, I'll
0: be definitely backing him again on Saturday. So I, so I think Danny Ings will get a goal <laughs> him, So yeah, you better get one. He's in, my, he's in my dream team. Yeah, he's in mine as well. So uh, <laughs> go on, Ingsy. Hope he gets a hat trick. That'd be nice. Um, well, the next game is probably the biggest game of the weekend. Everyone, it's Chelsea against Liverpool. Um, you know, big, a massive early, early season game, isn't it? At Stamford Bridge, that one is. What do you think of
3: that one, Melvin? That looks like it's going to be a difficult one to call, actually. It is. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go 2-0 um, to Liverpool. Oh, OK. I know we're thinking that Liverpool haven't clicked yet and they haven't had a good second half of the season by their standards. But I think this is this is where they step up. I think they're going to win 2-0. And I don't think Liverpool, Chelsea, as good as they are, I don't rate their defence. I think Liverpool got a couple of goals in them.
0: OK, well, fair enough. Yeah, that's a possibility. How, what, what, what do you think on that one, Chelsea-Liverpool? I've actually gone for Chelsea
1: to sneak it 2-1. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I, I said to you before, if that's, because when Chelsea were linked with Lewis Dunk about a couple of weeks ago, and if that was true, I actually thought that would have been their smartest piece of business, actually, because mm. he's a very, very underrated, a very, very good defender, yeah, despite yeah. what Arsenal fan base think. But I think he's a good defender. But um, yeah, I think Chelsea might sneak it
0: two one. Right, okay, yeah,
2: that's, that seems reasonable. Andrew, what about you for that one? It's going to be goals. Yeah, going to be goals. I there's absolutely no way on earth that Chelsea are going to. I mean, their defense is absolutely shocking. Um, I see them scoring a cup. I, I see Liverpool will win four two. Wow! Glad
6: to
1: Oh, oh, really? You know what? Because Andrew said that, because Andrew said that, I'm actually going to put a five aside and go to the
3: bookies. That's got me. Why not? Yeah, that's a
0: mad one, isn't it? I mean, 13, 13 goals in their first two games in the
3: matches. They've got. 13 well, they've, goals. got they've got. This, uh, I, mean,
2: like, I, I said this last. I said this last week about Chelsea. They're going to win games because they've got some um, incredible quality on the pitch now, but. They'll do that despite Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard, for me, is not the guy to to manage a team of stars like that and and get the best out of them. I just don't see it. But they will continue to do well because of the quality of the players. But their defence is is shocking. I cannot believe that they're letting that Tomori go. And you know he's far better than what they've got. You know, and they're letting him go and. It, they just can't defend, so I think they're going to let in too far too many goals, and I can see, uh, I, think I can see them scoring a couple though as well. So I, I can't see anything other than something similar to to that four two. I'm going to agree with Chelsea. It. Sorry, I'm agree with
0: this and going two
2: two. I
0: think that's Liverpool, uh, Chelsea, Liverpool two two. I think as well. Just, I just think that seems. I think a draw, and I think there'll be goals. As Andrew says, I think both teams have got goals in them, and at the moment, both teams can't defend. So I think a 2 2 draw seems like a good shout for that one. So I'm going to go with that. Um, Although cool I, I like Chelsea, Chelsea to win, if I'm honest, just because.
1: Yeah, uh, you make a good cool point about Chelsea, though. Um, I mentioned it. Um, they got, got League football last season, but they conceded 54
2: goals. Yeah.
0: That's, that's madness. Yeah.
2: I know. Uh, and bringing in Thiago is. Uh, he was a. One I of the best defend. He was one of the best defenders in the world, obviously, but that was about ten years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, uh, he's going to have a shot coming into the He's, he's a quality. still a quality player, but yeah, I mean, the pace of the Premier League is twice that of the, of yeah. the you know, Liga. Uh, I, I can't. I can yeah. see him struggling, unfortunately. Yeah. So. Uh, Fat
0: Frank here. Yeah. Um, right, the last game that we all have a prediction on. Um, actually, I think this is going to be a really good game. Actually, two to watch: Wolves against yeah. Man City. Manchester City's first game, obviously they didn't play last weekend.
3: So, Melvin, what are your predictions for Wolves against Man City? Wolves, I, I think Man City win two one. They're a good team, Wolves, but I just think City might have too much for them. Okay, yeah, that's, that's
0: reasonable. Uh what about yourself for that one? Wolves, Man City.
1: I'm gonna go for I love Jimenez by the way. Uh top, top, top yeah, quality,
3: quality
1: quality inside the box, outside the box. Um, I'm gonna go for a score draw, two two. Oh, a Desmond.
2: Some more yep. goals again. going Yeah,
0: well, a good weekend by the look at it. Andrew,
2: what can say? Six four or something. This is a, no, this is actually quite a tough one, you know? Is um
0: powerful. Very tough. <sighs>
2: I'm really, I'm really, really torn actually because Wolves are a, a, a really good quality team and uh, yeah. like I say, Jimenez is a great player. I, I just, if he wasn't 29, Yeah. Uh, I, he'd be, you know, and, uh, I don't know what, well,
1: I'd I, I have my Arsenal
2: 100%. Yeah, it's, it's just a bit too, uh, people were talking yeah. about 60 million, about 29, yeah. no yeah. chance. Uh, I think a Manchester City have literally got to win. Um, they have got to win because they cannot afford to, to, even at this stage of the season, drop behind Liverpool. But I, I can still see, like last season, when when Wolves just done Man City two so nil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do you know what? I think I actually agree with you, Albert. I think it yeah. might be a. I think there might be a draw. I. Th- yeah. I and, and I think all the headlines will be already that Liverpool are of champions, and it'd be stupid after the first game you see because they because they initially dropped points. Yeah. But I think the pressure is the pressure is on Man City a lot. So actually, no, I'm going to change your mind. I'm going to go for two one Man City. I think they might just squeeze it, but it's going to be tight. Two one Man City. Okay. I mean, Wolves actually did
0: the double over Man City last they season. Did. They did, did. yeah. Um, and amazing. I think they, they've got a number on them. Plus this season as well, without being in Europe, I think they've been in the Europa League last year. All them games that kind of hampered Wolves a little bit. Yeah. This year they haven't got that, so I actually think Wolves are going to have a really good season. They're going to be one of the teams to watch, and I actually think they'll beat Man City. I think the fact that they've played a couple of games already, Wolves with the League <coughs> Cup as well, I actually think that they're going to be a lot more sharper. And ready to, ready for it more than Man City. Maybe you're going to be a little bit behind because having not played. I think Wolves will win. I think Wolves will win two one, and I think Jimenez will score because he's in my fantasy team as well. So um,
2: Man, Man City though, um, Man City though, that it's very very valuable to have had this extra week on the training pitch as well. I think that
0: but I don't. Think you can be a competitive game. Wolves have had competitive football, and I think that's far more important than an extra week of training. No, I think Wolves are a lot sharper and ready for match action, as it were, as opposed to just, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, for, in in a sense, it's unfortunate for two Manchester clubs they didn't kick off the same week because I do feel as though they're going to have a catching up to do. And I think they're going to, they're not going to be as ready, I think, as the teams that they're playing who have already had a couple of games. And I, I think that, For that reason, I think Wolves will win. Plus, they do seem to have a number on Man City, don't they, from last season. And, you know, they couldn't deal with Traore, could they, Man City last year in both games? Um, yeah. so I think Troy always in my fantasy team as well so if he wants to bang a couple of goals in again
2: yeah, one, just, yeah. just because they're in your fantasy team it doesn't actually mean that they're always going to win though mate I need no, no, them to cause
0: I had a bit of a poor week so I, 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 <laughs> I, I need <laughs> them to make up for this week otherwise <laughs> they're getting dropped and binned off and sold
2: so. I, I think <laughs> that I, the fact that they did the double over Man City last season as well it's just that extra little bit of incentive for Man City to win but I think that Having that extra week when we don't forget, like we normally have three months off in the summer to actually work on things in, on the training ground. And I think that extra week would have done the world of good. I wish, you know, I, I bet Mikel Arteta wishes you could have had that extra week with the players on the training pitch. And I think they're going to be so pumped up, Man City, that they're so determined to win it this year, this year and win it back from Liverpool. I think it's just just going to push them over. But I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Wolves did win because I do really rate them as well. But I, I think Man City might just edge it just because of that determination to get revenge and uh, and start the season well.
0: Okay, well we'll see. Right, finally, then if we obviously um, there's an even bigger game than all of those put together on Saturday yeah. evening at eight o'clock, and of course we're playing the uh, the once mighty Hammers that aren't so mighty anymore. <laughs> so um, what what are, what are we thinking about that, then, Melvin? What's your record on this one? Arsenal, West
3: Ham. I'm going for a 3-0 win, mate. 3-0. Three, I just That's think we've got to gain too much from. Too much from.
0: Yeah, that, that seems fairly reasonable. Albert, what about you on that one? What do you think we'll do? I've
1: gone for an Arsenal 3-1 win. 3-1. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Andrew, are you sticking with what you said at the beginning? Was it 4-1 it four or something you said? 4-0. 4-0? 4-0, four four-nil. yeah. Um, you have
2: right four-nil. last week.
0: You, got, you said three full, for Fulham, didn't you, last week? So yeah, I, I, was, really... I, was,
2: I was. I'm actually. I'm actually very tempted to say five, but I. I don't know if we've got the ruthlessness at the moment quite there. Still but so I'll, I'll stick yeah. for. I'll stick for four. I, w- I wouldn't be even surprised if it's four nil at half time. Uh, wow! Okay. Must I ruin your rubbish? I do like yeah, that. Yeah, so. yeah, I, I, I actually. Uh, there was this guy at, uh, at work and his, his brother-in-law is a West Ham fan as well. Yeah. And um, when we were chatting uh, at work, he said, You're, you are easily going to get a, a minimum of four goals against us at the weekend. We are that bad. That's a West Ham fan. So, I, I, yeah, I, I can't see anything. I think we're going to have a really good win at the weekend. And go into the Liverpool game Properly yes. on a
0: high. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I obviously think we'll win. I think it'd be a massive shock if we don't beat West Ham, wouldn't it? It would be, uh, both in the start of the season. I mean, I don't think it's going to be quite as easy as a 5-4 or 5-0. I think oh. if West Ham will score, I think they've got potentially some dangerous players, haven't they? Antonio, Felipe, Anderson, a few others who can cause us problems. I think they'll score, but I think we'll win probably 3-1. Um, I kind of agree with Albert there. I think maybe 3-1. could be 4-1, maybe. Uh, I'm going for 3-1 just because I I just, I don't know. I'm not sure. (laughs) We haven't haven't really, we we don't, under Arteta, especially at home games when teams are going to sit back, which West Ham will, we've struggled, haven't we? The the, 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 the only home win that we had, a comfortable home win under Arteta, really was the Norwich game. And, of course, Norwich were already pretty much down by then and they just opened up, didn't they? This is early in the season. West Ham need to be tighter, than they were last week. They need to try and get a result, really, to bounce back. So, I don't think they're going to be open. I think we're going to have to work hard for the goals. And I think it's going to be hard to score. But I think we've got too much quality for them in the end. Plus, as well, it's David Moyer has never beaten Arsenal, it's, ever in his managerial career, ever. He's never, ever beaten us. So, let's hope that's
2: It's hard. not specifically, though, got... a lack of quality. It's not specifically a lack of quality with West Ham. They've got some good players. But the morale is literally yeah. on the floor. It's non-existent. Yeah.
0: No, but, I, I but even the, the players even the moment players moment
2: are the backlashing moment. against the club and bloody David Moyes being told he's going to be sacked and all this sort of stuff. That that's, oh, yeah. that's <laughs> the problem. They've they've got no they've got no impetus to go out there and fight for the for the badge at the moment. I just I just think yeah. they're they're in disarray and that's the problem. I
3: think yeah, no, it all... is.
0: sometimes clubs do produce something when, when they're up against yeah. the, WL, back to the wall and they have got enough quality players to cause us some problems in the game. I do think we'll win, but I just don't, I'll, I'll be surprised if it's that comfortable. I'd like it to be because if we're falling up at half time, we can, you know, have a cup of tea and sit back and relax. <laughs> in the half. That'd be great. Like last week was a little bit like that when we got the second goal, but you know, I'll, I'll take a scrappy one nil like we did just before lockdown Will do as long as we yeah. win, we need to keep the momentum going. If we go into Liverpool game with two wins, especially if they've got a very tough game away at Chelsea, you know, they they might win it, but they might not. And if, if we're ahead of them going into that game last year, we went to Anfield, we were the only two teams with two wins out of two. Um, But this year we could potentially go in there with a lead on them. You never know if Chelsea can get a result against them. That would be good, wouldn't it? So, um, oh, yeah, but yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think we'll win. But I you know, I'd like it to be five or six nil, but I just don't think it will be. will <laughs> be a bit closer than that. And I think
2: you know, we well, you'll have to give me a nickname if it comes off. You know, like a not a Mystic Meg, but something along those lines.
0: Well, yeah, after in a row. You've got there. Yeah, that'd be <laughs>
2: amazing, yeah. The thing is, are you
1: tempted? If you, I don't know if you guys have got a Bamyang in your team. Are you? Are you tempted early in this season to use your triple captain?
2: Yeah, I am. To, uh, like- just signed in his new contract as well. It could be yeah. his first hat-trick. Well, apart from the one in Europe, his first Premier League hat-trick.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's in my team and he's my captain, but I don't think I'm triple captain. In me. I did it last year against Burnley, second game of the season. Yeah. He only scored one. And he, I think he got booked as well, so it cost me loads of points. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm not going to do it yet. I'm going to wait until we're playing... Full of at home or something. I think he might score. Um, <laughs> off because he against him later in the season. Thanks for that, James. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Same. Um, yeah. So I mean, that, that's pretty much. I think we pretty much covered everything anyway. So, um, obviously, thanks to you guys for for coming on tonight and chatting. It's been it's been a great show, Melvin. Where can people find you on social media? Assuming you want them to find you, of course.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, just it's just Melvin Marks. Anyways, just on that I on Twitter and Facebook under Melvin Marks, but on Twitter that is what it is. Right, Just put old sod, and you probably get me as well. Aren't I already <laughs> found you ages ago, mate. It's fine. Thanks for coming on. Well, it's, been, been, uh, it's been a
0: pleasure chatting to you as always. Um, Thank you very uh, much. How, you. Where can people find you on uh, on social media? Obviously on YouTube
1: as well. Yeah, firstly, thanks for having me on, mate. It's been a pleasure. i to meet Melv's and to talk with Andrew as well, mate. Knowledgeable gooners. Yeah, you can find me on Albert J. TV. Um, talk about Arsenal topics. Football-related issues as well, past and present. Check out the content and my Twitter handles on the page as well.
0: Yeah, but it's a great channel as well. Um, cheers, I saw, mate. I saw your shout this afternoon. Actually, that was really good. Actually, I enjoyed that.
4: Yeah, I cheers, was,
0: mate. I did at the time, but I was watching it. I couldn't get, I couldn't get on, make any comments on
4: it.
0: But I <laughs> cheers, um, uh, finally, Andrew, again, you know, thanks for coming on again. Uh, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure. You're very well. welcome. Really Where can people find, find you on the, obviously on YouTube as well and social media?
2: Yeah, well when I'm not asleep I'd normally have a, a you normally have a show every week on <laughs> uh, From Dale Square to Where. Um yeah, uh, anyone you watching alarm this you alarm, anyone watching this that was uh, you know lining up to watch me yesterday, I do sincerely apologise it won't again. I'll have to take some Pro Plus or some speed or something next time. But um Yeah uh, on Twitter it's at From Dale Square. But, yeah, Albert, you're a great channel. You're doing a great job there, mate. Right. I really enjoy that as well. So. Thank you. And mate. obviously yeah. yourself, Richard, and I really uh, enjoy coming on. It's uh, a great show tonight. I really enjoy speaking to all of you. No, it's been good. good.
0: Great guys, mate. Oh, I've, I've really enjoyed it as well. It's great to have you all on. It's great to, you know, at the moment, it's great chatting about Arsenal because it's nice and positive. And I you know, I want to try to say, I'm calling it a positive Arsenal podcast, and that's how I want it to try and stay for as long as we can. If we can make Christmas still being positive, that would be good, wouldn't it? You know, that would make it change. I can't remember put the last time. What the positive in inverted commas? I might
2: have to yeah. start there, yeah. In January, Just put like a little asterisk <laughs> at the bottom saying, <laughs> dependent on results.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if, if we're out of all the cups and we're like mid, mid-table in oh, the league, right. Maybe yeah, we can.
2: Yeah.
0: at the moment, let's enjoy, it. let's enjoy it while we can because, you know, yeah,
2: we've,
0: we've suffered yeah. enough haven't we the last few yeah, years. and 100%. I think, you know, we went over a lot of stuff tonight, basically saying how, how kind of positive we are feeling about it all, really, with everything that's going on. So I'm sure that we'll remain positive for a while yet anyway, hopefully all the way through with a bit of luck. <laughs>
2: yeah, definitely. Well, thanks to well, d- Don't fear before. anyone anymore. I don't fear going to Anfield. No, 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 and, no, no, I've got none, none of that anymore. It's all gone. Um, well, I can think we could beat anyone on our day. So, yeah, brilliant. No,
0: okay. Are. I think we go it and win, but we'll talk about that maybe next week as well. So I say thanks everyone for watching. If if you like what I'm doing on the channel, please subscribe. Please give this video the thumbs up. Thanks to everyone in the chat as well, loads of people. James, Winston, obviously Ryan, Russ, um, loads of other people that I can't remember we'll all we'll now go up. DWTT, he's always on quite a lot, isn't he? With with on Albert's channel as well. Ryan yeah,
1: uh, right. Yeah, Score, right?
0: What we're doing. So thanks to everyone in, in the comments there everything as well I'm watching. I hope you've enjoyed it. all. I say, we'll—I'll uh, be back again over the weekend with the stuff about the game, obviously against West Ham. Hopefully, um, a few goals and stuff to talk about. Hopefully, as many as Andrew said, it'll be nice. Um, but I'll—I'll I'll say I'll take a one 0 if it means we win and stay top of the league, uh, which will be great. So, so thanks everyone for watching. Thanks for you guys for joining me. And as always, before I go, say the same thing. Come on, you guys! Come on you, Come on, you guys!
4: Come on, you gunners. Come on! I want to tell you what I talk to the lads about every day what it means to be part of our family a strong family (laughs) (laughs) first there is the no negotiables respect humility belief and it's okay to get angry to raise our voices, as long as it comes from the right place. And even though family can hurt us like nobody else, remember, they are the ones who raise us up. When people come to our house, try to divide us because they know our family and what our shirt means. Let them know we can't be divided.
3: Come on, come on!
4: And it will take all of us together, because we know where we belong. So when the challenges come, you will tell them. This is family. This
7: is family. This is family. This is family. This
4: is 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 arson. I want to tell you what I talk to the lads about, every day. What it means to be part of our family. A strong family. (laughs) First, there is the (laughs) non-negotiables. Respect. Humility. Belief. And it's okay to get angry. To raise our voices. As long as it comes from the right place. And even though family can hurt us like nobody else, remember, they are the ones who raise us up. When people come to our house, try to divide us because they know our family and what our shirt means.
1: Put us for
3: life, but us for life.
4: Let them know we can't be divided. The come on. Come on. And it will take all of us together because we know where we belong. So when the challenges come, you will tell them this is family. This
8: is family. This is family. This is family. This is family. This,
4: this, this is Arsenal. Awesome.
9: are in an odd position. Under manager Mikel Arteta, they are FA Cup winners. They're equipped with young, promising players like Mikhail Saka, Gabriel Martinelli and William Saliba. They've also recently beaten Liverpool, Manchester City and Chelsea and Arteta has got the better of Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp in one-off games. Yet the club remains shackled to its past. American billionaire Stan Kroenke, who incidentally is married to one of the heirs of the Walmart Fortune, is the club's sole owner, with son Josh now more involved in the day-to-day. Supporters have criticised the club as commercially stagnant, as having an arcane structure and of just not doing enough. And herein lies a strange contrast. Supporters are generally enthusiastic about the progressive, modern and ambitious Arteta but largely dead against the perceived absent American ownership. On top of this, the hierarchy between coach and owner has also at times seemed problematic. The legacy of now departed Head of Football Rao Yehi is the alienation of the club's scouting and analytics departments in favour of an agent-led approach to transfers. So, where does this leave the club? Well, in today's episode, we're joined by David Ornstein, Amy Lawrence, James McNicholas, and Matt Slater to dig into Arsenal's recruitment, ownership, academy, tactics, and finances. But most importantly, the manager. Who is Mikel Arteta? What is his managerial DNA? Why did Pep Guardiola choose him as an assistant? Answer this, and we can better understand the Arsenal of the future. Welcome to State of the Club. Nobody thought that Mikel Arteta would ever become a footballer. Born in March 1982 in San Sebastián, as a baby he was diagnosed with a serious heart condition which required surgery and doctors would tell his parents that their son would never play any sport. But he would come to love football and, at age five, those doctors agreed to merely monitor his condition. And play he did, most often on the beaches near his home in Calle With a local boy who would grow up to win everything the sport had to offer, Xabi Alonso was five months older than Arteta, but the two became inseparable, honing their touch and technique on the beach. At nine, they would even play alongside one another for Antiguo, a feeder club for Real Sociedad. But at 15, Arteta had the chance to join the team he'd supported as a boy. Moving to Barcelona may have seemed too good to be true for Arteta, but it was no surprise to those who'd watched him develop. He was one of the smallest players. Remembers Antiguaco teammate Alvaro Parra, but no doubt the smartest. Barcelona brought him first contact with Pep Guardiola, his idol as a player and, many decades later, his coaching mentor. Arteta would make his debut appearance for Barca's B team as a substitute for Guardiola, but first team chances were limited for teenagers, and in 2001, with Philippe Cocu, Xavi, and Fabio Rochenbach blocking out the light, he joined Paris Saint Germain on loan. At the time, PSG were under the guidance of Luis Fernandes, a European Championship winner with France in 1984 and one of the finer defensive midfielders of his generation. The club was very different to the one standing in its place today, but it was still one of Europe's most cosmopolitan environments. Fernandez was managing a group which included Maurizio Pochettino and Gabriel Anza, the swaggering flair of JJ Ococha and Ronaldinho, and the combustible talent of Nicolas Anelka, It was an intimidating dressing room, particularly for a 19-year-old, but he survived and grew. Pochettino took Arteta under his wing, and the two retain a friendship which survives to this day. But those early years as a player were semi-nomadic. Arteta's loan in Paris would become a permanent move to Rangers. He would then swap Glasgow for a return to San Sebastian before leaving for England and Everton – first on loan and then for good. So, before Arsenal and the Emirates, there were changes in style and culture to navigate, with languages to learn and communication skills to develop. It was a time of near-constant change, but the anecdotes are familiar and consistent and are indicative of the kind of personality that today, nearly 20 years later, is exerting itself at Arsenal. At Ibrox, Ronald de Boer was struck by the presence of a young player who should have been well outside his comfort zone – I think he was just coming up for 20 at that time but he played with the maturity and tactical discipline of a 30-year-old," De Boer recalled. You can never be certain, but I did get a feeling, even back then, when he was so young, that he had a desire to get into coaching. From one hothouse footballing city to another, via San Sebastian, Arteta would make his name in Liverpool with Everton and, again, show many of the characteristics present today. Alan Stubbs, the former centre-half, remembers Arteta as strong-minded and willing to speak up if he felt something needed to be said. Phil Neville, who spent time in the presence of some of the strongest characters English football has ever known, also observed a rare gravitas in his teammate. People listen to him and respect him. He has that aura. Through Arteta's own recollections, he was an unusually driven player, too. In 2009, while in recovery from a cruciate ligament injury, his wife Lorena was pregnant with their first child. Labour was no reason to miss rehab, though. Three or four hours after my wife gave birth, he told Arsenal's official website in 2014, I pulled up a treatment table next to her in the hospital and had my physio. She wanted to kill me." But he would play again, returning with some of the best football of his career. He arrived at Arsenal in 2011 as part of Arsene Wenger's response to a dreadful 8-2 defeat to Manchester United. Wenger would eventually make him his captain and, like others beforehand, placed great stock in his character and the example it set. Mikel has a huge influence even when he's not playing, Fenger commented at the time. He is super conscientious, and every morning two hours before training he prepares, and that is absolutely right. Just through his behaviour, his focus is on getting everything right in the team. Like many of his peers, Arteta laid the groundwork for his coaching career while he was still playing. As part of his qualifications, he coached Arsenal's under-13s at Hale End during a lengthy injury layoff in 2015. and Later in the year, for his A licence, he would coach Wales under-16s through the Victory Shield tournament. And By that time, some semblance of philosophy had started to crystallise too. He already seemed to know what kind of head coach he would be. I will have everyone 120% committed, that's the first thing, he said in a 2014 interview. If not, you don't play for me. It was said lightheartedly and with a smile, but, as Matteo Ganduzzi might attest, he meant every word. And he also knew how his teams would play. I want the football to be expressive, entertaining. I cannot have a concept of football where everything is based on the opposition. We have to dictate the game, we have to be the ones taking the initiative and we have to entertain the people coming to watch us. The people aren't there yet and may not be for a while, but the substance is appearing. And Arsenal have already begun to twine around their head coach.
7: Mikel Arteta has now been at Arsenal since December 2019. Uh, His first game was a fixture against Bournemouth, in that he used a 4-2-3-1, which he then used for the next 10 fixtures. After that, he switched to a 3-4-3 before reverting to a 4-2-3-1 for the final game against Watford. Now, in the first two games of this season he's used a 3-4-3 in both the community shield and also the fixture against Fulham, but what does this tell us about how Arteta is trying to play and what can we infer from what Arsenal will do this coming season? Mikel Arteta has clearly been influenced by his time with Pep Guardiola. He was assistant manager to Guardiola at Manchester City. Pep Guardiola is famous for something called positional play and it's clear that Arteta is trying to institute this at Arsenal as well. But what is positional play? Positional play is a a fairly complicated series of ideas, but it can be boiled down into a few key facets which are helpful for understanding what Arteta is trying to do at Arsenal. So the first is the idea of generating superiorities behind opposition lines of defense. Now, these, these superiorities can either be quantitative, which is where you have more players in a particular part of the pitch than the opposition, or they can be qualitative, which is where you have a particularly good player isolating an opposition player and running at him or going in behind him. There are a few other key important points to positional play as well. So these superiorities that we're talking about are generated with a series of rehearsed movements, patterns of play. This is why Pep Guardiola, for example, trains his players using a rondo. It's about quick rehearsed interchanges of passing. There's a few other key points as well. So for example, one of the things that uh, is important for positional play is the idea of the third man. So what happens there is you'll have a player moving into this position here, and then one of these players will be the third man. These two players here can pass the ball between each other, but there's always a third man here who's spare. This is why we talk a lot about the creation of passing triangles within these superiorities. The other thing that's important is what we call the switch of play. So if uh, the team here in red is stacking up on the right-hand side and trying to generate superiorities in this area, naturally the team in yellow is gonna come across So what we then find is that these players out here on the left hand side are in considerable space and number 11 here has gained what's possibly a qualitative superiority over number two you can then have a series of quick passes like that and then number 11 can attack number two one of the things that's really important about positional play and it's why we've got this grid drawn here on the screen is that when it's trained players are taught to occupy certain zones. The idea is that no two players should occupy the same vertical line. So that's okay because four and six are on the same vertical line, but 10 is tucked inside. But if 10 moves there, that's too easy to shut off the passing lane like that. Also, no more than three players should occupy the same vertical line. So again, that's fine. But if seven were to drop in there, you'd have too many players on that line. And again, that makes it easy to mark. Now these movements on these lines and players being aware of where they are in relation to to those markings on a training pitch, which is incidentally why players are always looking around themselves, trying to work out where they are oriented towards the space, towards the ball, towards their teammates, is what makes positional play work on the basis of rehearsed movements. So teams will learn in these series of rehearsed movements. If the ball goes here, this is where I need to move. This is where my teammates going to move. And you see this very, very slick series of interchange passes, which is all based on this rehearsed idea. Now there are a couple of different types of positional play. The Pep Guardiola style is is predicated on what we call verticality. So that's moving the ball quickly up the pitch. You might have a manager like uh, Louis van Gaal, for example, who does it more horizontally that's more about moving the ball sort of backwards and forwards in a kind of pendulum way. But the aim is the same. It's to get superiorities behind the opposition lines and then be able to affect an attack. Uh, pressing is part of this as well because pressing is, is a way that teams then shore up what's happening behind the ball. So how does this positional play influence what Arteta is trying to do at Arsenal? Arteta's 4231 was perhaps slightly reminiscent of what uh, Guardiola does with his 433, 3, although it was less effective in execution. Again, the principles are to try and generate these overloads. So what would quite often happen is the 4231 would morph into a sort of 235 in possession. So the fullbacks here would give as much width as possible. The wide left player, generally speaking Obamiang, would be out there wide left. The number seven, again, probably Nicolas Pepe, would stay wide on this side. And then you'd have the number 10 drifting into the right half space. One of the central midfielders, usually someone like Ceballos, would be pushing up. This was flexible, so occasionally, for example, Obamiang would occupy this left half space so that he could make a run in here and the width would come from the left back but the general principle was to have five players here up front a shield of three players providing defensive cover the ability to counter press and then two defenders that would sort of lurk in this area there's a couple of other things that are worth noting uh, about the 4231 so part of the build up play for example would sometimes see the left back pushing really really high and then Granite Xhaka would drop here into the left back spot and he'd be able to play these long passes forwards. Um, that was part of how Arsenal would build up from the back but by and large there was a fairly straightforward approach. It was, it was about trying to get a lot of men forward, width coming from the full backs, long passes coming from deep uh, and having enough superiority in the forward spaces to be able to try and affect goal opportunities. So how is what Arteta is now doing with a 343 different to that? Well, actually in several respects, it's not that different. Um, The first thing to say is that formations are kind of nominal sometimes. So a 343 quite often won't look like a 343 during lots of facets of the game. That's kind of the same with most formations. When Arsenal are in a low block, you do see the wing backs dropping back, the wide players also dropping back, and you get this structure of a a five-man back line, four midfielders, and then Lacazette on his own, moving around, trying to press a little bit. That's where it's closest to being a 3-4-3. But in lots of other respects, Arteta is actually doing some fairly similar things to what he was doing before. He's just doing them more effectively because the personnel that he's able so far to squeeze into the 343 is performing better. So on the left-hand side, the left-wing back Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who's a really interesting utility player who can fulfill a number of different functions, has tended to sit quite narrow inside What this means is that Kieran Tierney who has played obviously regularly as a left back can push really really high and wide on the left hand side. So he's acting as a left-sided centre-back but he's also acting as a left wing back. Maitland-Niles will largely occupy this space. Tierney will overlap up here but sometimes if Tierney cuts inside Maitland-Niles will go outside Yang is then able to come inside knowing that there's going to be at least probably one player outside him, but also one player behind him. We have the passing triangles that are so beloved of positional play There, I actually managed to do it in that instance. On the right-hand side, if we return these players to where they should roughly be, Willian acts much more like a 10 rather than a classic outside right-sided attacker. So he drifts into this space here. Bayern will provide the width on the right-hand side getting forwards. However, Bayern will also cut inside with Willian staying outside. What that means again, is that you have, again, the creation of these overloads, passing triangles. So with Bayern making runs inside or outside, Willian drifting inside or outside, depending on where Bayern is. What that means is again, you have the opportunity to to generate these overloads. What this often looks like when Arsenal are in attack is five players forwards, three players in the middle and two at the back, much like we saw with the 4-2-3-1. So Maitland-Niles will be in here. You'll have these midfielders. Tierney's providing width on the left. Behrens providing width on the right. Aubameyang and Willian are drifting inside. Again, this is creating overloads, creating numerical superiority behind the opposition line of defence. But while they're doing that, there is the midfield cover here, the screen of the three players. Now, what's interesting is that Arsenal are trying to push those players a little bit higher up the pitch now that's partly facilitated by the fact that gabriel is a really good one-on-one defender i think we'll probably see that more uh, when william saliba comes into the team as well because that's the strength of his with his pace and his covering ability leno is obviously a good sweeper keeper so he can come and patrol this area if arsenal press high up the pitch and when i say press i don't mean engage in a press i just mean push up so that they're squeezing the opposition space that allows them to counter-press around the edge of the box. If the move breaks down with those flies five players up front, you've still got three behind them to keep everything secure. And also perhaps arguably lacking a really, really high quality playmaker, Arsenal can use the counter-press to generate additional opportunities to attack the opposition box. Now, one of the interesting things about the use of the 343 last season is that it was generally felt that because Arsenal, maybe Granit Xhaka aside, lacked a really high quality progressor of the ball from deep, David Luis was was the crucial guy. He was in the center of that back three and he was able to make these long raking passes forwards or sometimes bring the ball actually out into the midfield area and then generate these vertical passes forwards. But it was felt that Luis was probably unable to defend properly in a four-man line, He was kind of exposed by that. Luis is injured and hasn't been part of the squad so far this season, but what we can see with Arsenal is that they've turned the 3-4-3 into something that plays to their strengths and crucially plays to the way that Arteta wants to play football, rather than something that they build around one particular player to minimise their weaknesses in other areas of the game. I think that's what's really interesting about Arteta. He came into uh, the role, having given an interview to the Arsenal magazine in, in 2016, where he talked about wanting to play expressive football, wanting to play football that dictated to the opposition what was happening. But also he emphasised flexibility. He emphasised the idea that you know players in the squad have to be able to take risks. They have to be technically capable, and, and if the players aren't able to do that or if you don't have those players then you have to adapt to that what we've seen before with Arteta is this adaptation to to use what Luis is good at but protect him and now we're seeing the same formation used but rather to emphasize Arsenal's strength so Arteta is sticking true to his word he's adapting he's playing expressive football and I think it probably bodes really well for Arsenal in this coming season <laughs>
10: I'm David Ornstein, Football Correspondent for The Athletic. When Ivan Gazidis was Chief Executive at the club, he wanted to create a continental model, and that would involve a number of heads of department, um, whether it be head of recruitment, head of football, head coach, head of high performance, and he implemented it. A number of individuals came on board, the likes of Darren Burgess on high performance, Raul Sanlehi as Head of Football Relations, later Head of Football, Sven Mislantat as Head of Recruitment, Hus Farmy as Head of Contract. The only thing remaining was the head coach role, and Arsene Wenger was replaced with Head Coach Unai Emri. That seemed to be the model that Arsenal would go forward in. However, Ivan Gazidis left, soon after Sven Mislantat was gone, Darren Burgess left, and now Arsenal are in a position where Raul Sanlehi has gone too. People have come in in the meantime, Edu as technical director, and so that continued this sort of continental model. But with the departure of Raul Sanlehi, Things are looking very different at Arsenal. At the top of the organisation now is the man who he shared the leadership with, Vinay Venkatesham. He has gone from managing director to newly appointed chief executive. Raul Sanlehi has not been replaced. It was clearly a name of Arsenal's owner, Stan Kroenke, his son, Josh, who's a director at the club, KSE, Cronky Sports and Entertainment, who are the overarching organisation in charge of this, to create a leaner, more efficient Arsenal. Um, many of the redundancies that were made, we were told that they needed to be made regardless of COVID and that this had kind of escalated the process. Arsenal want to become a more streamlined organisation, more fit for purpose in not only the COVID, but also the modern era. That means the hierarchy of the club looks very different to how it looked not so long ago. Player recruitment at Arsenal has undergone enormous change in recent times. If we take the story back, Ivan Gazidis was chief executive, was very keen to embrace data, statistics, numbers, analytics, and Arsenal acquired the American company StatDNA and their boss, Jason Rosenfeld. That became a really important part of Arsenal's decision-making process around potential signings. It culminated in the arrival of Sven Mislintat as head of recruitment from Borussia Dortmund, because he is a real disciple, a believer in the numbers, the data, the analytics. Um, but that sort of thing was always likely to create a bit of tension within any club because there will always be people of a more traditional old school mentality. And there was certainly tension between Sven Mislintat and Raul Sanlehi, who after the departure of Ivan Gazidis were the two guys basically responsible for the recruitment. Sven Mislensat left and Raul Sanlehi uh, was in position to take things forward. Now it was Arsenal's aim to appoint a technical director who would be ultimately responsible for recruitment. Uh, They considered a number of options including Monchi. Uh, He had recently left Roma. He's renowned throughout the game as one of the best operators but he decided to go back to Sevilla. Arsenal turned their attentions to Edu, their former player and Invincible. He had experience at the Brazilian FA but also Corinthians, just not in a European club or in the European transfer market. So as he gradually integrated, Raul Sanlehi was left to lead this forward in conjunction with Arsenal's recruitment department. And Raul Sanlehi favours a more contacts-based approach, relationships like a black book of connections that is said to be second to none. And many people have looked skeptically at some of these relationships with certain agents, but that's the way Arsenal looked to be favoring. Then came the overhaul, the restructure of the club, and that saw the recruitment department, in the words of some I've spoken to around the club, decimated. The likes of Francis Kajajal leaving the club, Brian McDermott too, and many more besides. Well, the full details behind Raoul Sanlehi's departure from Arsenal still remain relatively vague. Arsenal released a statement pointing to the idea that it was part of their cost-cutting measures around the Covid crisis, that it was a role that they had decided wasn't necessarily essential and that it would be discontinued. But... The lack of detail and also, crucially, the timing because Raoul Sanlehi was negotiating a number of potential transfers for Arsenal and the Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang contract, so this was the middle of the transfer window, led to suspicions that there could be other reasons. Now, we've heard so much speculation around Arsenal, around Raoul Sanlehi, a lot of reporting about his relationships with certain high-profile agents and Arsenal conducting a lot of deals with the same agents. But we've got no reason to suspect there is any wrongdoing. We only have what Arsenal have announced. And until we maybe hear from him or more from the club, we won't know if there are any deeper reasons to it. We only know what we know. But it is a big moment for Arsenal, losing their head of football in the middle of the transfer window, will not have been a decision taken lightly. Leaving by default, you could say Edu at the top of the tree as technical director, in conjunction with Mikel Arteta, whose title has been changed from head coach to first team manager, and he will certainly have more power than ever before around recruitment. And then there are other individuals supporting as well, the likes of Ben Knapper, the loans manager, then filtering down to the academy, somebody like Lee Heron heading up recruitment there, Per Mertesacker, and other individuals and it's really fascinating to look at the way that the academy has started recruiting over the last few months, picking up players who have perhaps fallen out of contract elsewhere. Will they start to look to go down the route that Chelsea have operated on in recent years, making it almost like a second business? Signing players, loaning them out, trying to develop the best ones, keep them in house, then sell for profit those that they've bought in from cheap, for cheap. That's an area to watch. But on the first team side, It's almost like Arsenal have winded back the clock going from this continental model with a huge number of bodies, a huge number of cooks you could say, to very few, almost like less is more and they will hope that this is an intelligent way, a more modern way to go forward and that it will lead them to success in the transfer market.
9: Okay, Arsenal dropped to 11th in the Deloitte Money League uh, in the latest results, their lowest since 2001. Yeah, and
11: here's an accompanying quote. Uh, There is nothing standing out, nothing driving things forward, and income has flatlined for five years. Right, so why did that happen?
12: Probably the easiest answer to that question would be results.
9: That's Matt Slater. He's the football investigations reporter for The Athletic, and he's about to explain how poor results impact income.
12: A noticeable, appreciable drop in finishing positions in the Premier League, which means less bonus money, less less um, prize money from the Premier League. But most importantly, failures qualify for the Champions League, and there's a huge drop off. Even if you go very deep in the competitions, they have in the Europa League. Even if you go very deep in that competition, you know, you, you know you're looking at you know, at least half um, drop off. So you know you could maybe earn 40, 45% of what a good run in the Champions League would bring you so I think it's those, it's, it does, that's the main thing really they, they have the results have dried up they, they're not as consistent as they were and that has had a big knock on the bottom line
9: Right, so generally club revenue breaks down into three categories, match day, broadcasting and commercial. The club's most recent results show that broadcasting income was down from £180 million to £170 million. Which
11: is fairly insignificant, largely based on performance or more specifically finishing positions within the league and Europe. However, uh, commercial revenue has actually grown by about £10 million pounds this year.
9: Which is funny because we started this by saying that they fell out of the top 11
11: uh, and uh, that makes it sound bad, Seb. Well, the club's growth isn't retracting, it's just not accelerating like they might want it to. Uh, With their commercial income, for example, they make a lot of money but they are behind many of their peers. For example, uh, their kit manufacturers deal, they make sixty million pounds per season and that puts them behind Manchester City, Man United, uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid and Liverpool who've just signed a, an unusual deal with Nike which we think all things considered will be worth around £100 million per season which is almost double
9: Arsenal's also right the, the market leading deals that they have uh, are in the more minor areas so the £30 million over three years deal with uh, Visit Rwanda is the best sleeve sponsor deal in the world at, well, at the time that it was signed but he's still only £10 million a year right right and match day income is
11: also very interesting largely because of their big shiny stadium and Matt explains why
12: one of the great sort the of pillars of Arsenal success as a club has been the Emirates building that stadium, a uh, big stadium in London, having high ticket prices and having lots and lots of premium seats. I mean, that has been really Arsenal's big USP. You know, when they built that stadium, they were basically making about 3 million pounds a game, a home game of which 1 million was coming from uh, about 6th, 7th of the seats. So those premium seats. And that, again, is, is, is one of the advantages that London clubs have. Particularly if you are one of the best clubs in London, you can really just tap into that kind of corporate market. You know, the banks, uh, all the other large businesses will do so much hospitality entertainment at big games. Um, and it's often sort of discussed that, that, that clubs elsewhere in the country you know, don't have that advantage. certainly couldn't sell eight, 9,000 premium tickets every game.
9: Which sounds great and makes it sound like they should be running away with it.
12: The building of the, of the Emirates was difficult.
9: Why was it difficult?
12: Building anything in London's difficult, and it got quite hairy. Um, at, uh, I mean, this is this is a this is a whole book in itself, just how they how they managed that 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 move, how complicated it was, how Arsenal for a period got distracted. Um, they became a property company for a bit. Um, you know, the, the the decision makers at Arsenal were. were were worrying about relocating people and um, selling flats and building waste incineration plants and dealing with the local government who were making all kinds of demands on them.
9: A cardboard baler was installed in October 2007 to bale all the cardboard from the catering facilities, armoury shop and programme sellers and to prepare it for collection by a recycling company, Seb. Okay, but that is called the Emirates is also very
11: significant because a couple of years before the stadium opened, club signed that long-term deal and it wasn't particularly favourable. It was eight years of shirt sponsorship at £48 million and and 50 years of naming rights at £42 million, pounds, so a total of £90 million. Pounds. Matt explains why.
12: They had to do those deals, they had to do them, they had to front load them, that was the key thing. So they went to the market in a, in a weak position, they, they didn't go to the market in a position of strength. We we're one of the best two teams in the country, we're about to move into an amazing stadium. It was. Um, we need the money right now. And otherwise, this stadium is gonna become uh, a millstone because we will have to borrow more money uh, and the interest rates will go up. It was the shirt sponsor deal that I I think became a real bone of contention because it effectively, what was it? So six million a year at a time where, you know, United, who they were going head to head with, were getting 15-ish, Real Madrid 14, 13, 14.
11: It's actually worse than that. Schalke, Dortmund, and even Spurs were ahead of them. Uh, Twelve clubs in total were earning more from their kit deals at the time.
12: But for a long time after the stadium was built, there was a lot of frustration that, that they'd undersold. They'd undersold these key assets: the front shirt and the name of the stadium.
11: So, in 2010, in an AST survey revealed by Goal.com. Um, it was estimated that these long commercial deals were actually costing the club somewhere in the regions of somewhere in the region of twenty million pounds per season. but they were able to renegotiate in two thousand and twelve. It went hundred and fifty million pounds for five years for shirt and stadium, so that was thirty million pounds a year. and as a result, in June 2013, Ivan gazelis, at the time their chief executive obviously. Um, announced hubristically that the club's era of austerity was over and that they were then in a position to compete for almost any player in the world. So Ozil and Sanchez etc. Right right but it didn't last.
12: If you're really good at football all the other bits become so much easier Um, and I think that's something that Liverpool under Fenway learned you know get the football products right and then we can be really clever and smart with our commercial relationships and our kit manufacturing deal and everything else we want to do so I think that's it for Arsenal that's the story they they they, they 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 lost their way on the pitch
9: but throughout this whole period right lots of Arsenal fans talked about the cash reserves the war chest in Arsenal's bank accounts even if the results on the pitch weren't right why weren't they spending this money if they had it
12: one of the conditions of the borrowing of a bond in particular, it's, 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 quite, it's quite regulated, um, there would have to have been sort of like a rainy day element to that. So uh, you know, a provision of the bond would have been, well, you must at all times have a, an amount in your bank accounts just in case the world ends um, so that we can always get our money back. And that has meant, that's often, I remember, you know, loads of times Arsenal have been talking about this war chest and we've got so much cash in the bank and fans are getting really, really frustrated. Well, the point is that that money, a lot of it had to be held back, had to be retained just for the provisions, the terms of their bonds, sorry. And by borrowing now from their owner, well, they can now tap into more of their cash, all of their cash, if you like. So, so that, that's definitely a, you know, a cash positive for Arsenal.
9: And so that's full circle, isn't it? Arsenal's debt has actually increased, but because it's mostly owed to Stan Kroenke himself, it's on more favourable interest terms than the bond agreement. And also, as Matt says, it eradicates the need for Arsenal to keep their rainy day fund, which theoretically means they can spend all that lovely cash. Not that they
13: will. Yeah, that's great. Then this bit's over now. I'm James McNicholas, and I'm an Arsenal correspondent for the Athletic.
11: James, how did the perception
13: of Stan Kroenke change over time? Well, it's interesting. I I think Arsenal is an interesting club because they have an, an attitude to ownership. I think that's maybe a little bit different. Some of their Premier League contemporaries, Premier League rivals, you know, Chelsea are a very close club to Arsenal geographically, and there are sort of interesting differences between those the way those two clubs approach this situation. Arsenal adopted the kind of stadium model. They rebuilt the stadium, took considerable loans in order to do that and gambled that the revenues from that would sustain them in the 21st century. Chelsea, of course, went down the Abramovich route, the money route. And it it consequently created a bit of a sort of cultural divide between those clubs. So I think when Arsenal started being bought out by any billionaire, didn't matter who it was, there was a bit of resistance there because Arsenal fans had kind of constructed a bit of an identity based around the idea of pride and doing things the Arsenal way, a really strong sense of tradition. The idea of an American coming in and owning the club felt alien. And I think, you know, certainly in London, certainly in England, there was a little bit of resistance to that. I think, to be honest, antipathy has grown, really. And that's because Stan Kroenke's ownership of Arsenal has coincided with a period in which the club's Premier League standing has largely declined. You know, he's not the kind of owner who puts his own cash into the club. He's not the kind of owner who is going to sort of lavish money on expensive signings. He's not a fan in any real sense. Um, it's difficult to sense a degree of allegiance between KSC, the Crunkies and him. And I think this came to a head in the summer of 2019 when Arsenal fans launched the We Care Do You campaign, which was basically a really public plea with Stan Kroenke, and Josh Kroenke, and KSE, to kind of show something that I think it's almost impossible for them to do, which is an emotional affectionate att- attitude uh, towards the club, and a connection towards the club. You know, that is not, they are not Arsenal fans. They were not born as Arsenal fans. They were not raised as Arsenal fans. It's inevitable, I think, that supporters are going to want that from an owner. But I don't know if it's necessarily realistic, uh, and I think, you know, the, the, they care in so much as they want the business to succeed. They want their investment to be proved worthwhile. But, you know, they're never going to view it like a fan. And I think that has always created a bit of a distance between them and the supporters. What is the current composition of the board? So with Sir Chips and Ken Fry having stepped down, the board now currently comprises of Stan Cronky, uh Josh Cronky, uh Lord Harris of Peckham who's been there for some time now. His background's primarily in retail. And the recent appointment of Tim Lewis. Now, Tim Lewis is a partner in Clifford Chance, and he advised Stan Kroenke on his purchase of Arsenal at various different stages. He's a very, very trusted lieutenant of the Kroenke's. Crucially, he's in London, because we live in a post-COVID world now where travel is not as easy as it once was. Josh Kroenke was a very prominent figure at Arsenal in the first part of last season, Obviously, he can't be here. He can't have eyes on the ground. Tim Lewis provides that. And he's also been conducting, as far as we understand it, effectively a bit of a financial audit of the club to make sure they're as efficient as possible uh, in this very difficult economic landscape. You've described quite a range of characters within
11: the boardroom. What what are, as a a group, what is its... um... How do its strengths and weaknesses relate to Mikel Arteta and his his job performance on a day-to-day basis?
13: It's really interesting because technically Mikel Arteta is reporting into the executive side, right? So he's working with Edu as a technical director. Previously, he was working into Rausignet as head of football. With Rausignet having been removed, the dynamic slightly shifts. uh, And everything does have to go through the board, as in any business. Uh, But how has he helped and not helped I think maybe he's, he's not helped by the fact that there's not a great degree of football experience there. But I think he's helped by the fact that he actually does have quite a positive relationship with Josh Kroenke. And I think one of the things that come out this summer is that Arteta and the ownership have kind of opened up a more direct line of communication. Personally, I think that's a really positive thing. It's interesting at Arsenal, they had Arsene Wenger who was kind of across everything and that was seen as a bit of a negative. So Arsenal moved away from that. They appointed these multiple voices, Sven Mislintat, Ronsigné, Edu Gaspar, some of which have come and gone. And they had a kind of head coach model under Emery. Arteta's back and it looks like he's the manager again. It's fascinating how quickly Arsenal have kind of reversed and gone back to something more akin to what they're familiar with. Uh, And and maybe that makes up for a little bit of the, the lack of football experience on the board there, especially with Ken Fryer stepping down. So, but I think the one consistent thing we will see is that we're seeing Arteta's authority grow because I think everyone associated with Arsenal senses and intuits that he is the most positive thing around the club at the moment. And that's where the power lies. Right then, so this is about
5: the center spot, isn't it?
13: Does
8: it, what did it, how does it
5: feel being being here now that it's like this
8: peaceful home nostalgic passion uh memories good times um community just everything rolled into one
5: they're all positive things i thought there might be
8: some sort of wistfulness there was i i struggled to come back here in the first few years after the move and I think probably like a lot of old fogies, I'd be lying if I didn't say that, more or less, any time walk over the bridge to the Emirates, there's something missing. You know, there's that, there's that uh, feeling of going to like a sacred place. And when I used to take the turning into the top end of Avenel Road, which is a bit of a h- incline, um, and you would see the crowd kind of mingling and gathering and growing and bubbling just outside the main entrance of the marble halls Uh, and, you know, the smells and sights and sounds and colours and all of that kind of electricity just sparking. It just every single time, you know, shivers down the spine, gets, you know, that slight, uh, you know, feeling where your stomach's jumping. Um, And I can't replicate that to this day at the Emirates because this is always home.
5: Nowadays when you arrive at Arsenal Station you always head in that direction and that will take you to the Emirates but up until 2006 it was always the case that you would head in that direction to Highbury. finances were always a huge driver behind the decision. Highbury held 38,000 fans and in the final year 2005-2006 the club made 44 million pounds. Instantly, once they moved to the Emirates, they made 107% more in one season. It was clear they had to make the jump to a bigger arena.
8: first time that Arsene Wenger actually came to an Arsenal match, um, way before he was manager, uh, he got a taxi from the airport and the taxi kind of dropped him out at one of these side streets and he went, turned around to, to the driver and said, but where's the stadium? <laughs> and uh, the guy's like, oh, it's just here mate. And it, Arsene said he just couldn't believe how brilliant it was to have in the middle of you know all these houses and, and just hustle and bustle of normal life. The stadium's just of of this magnitude and this beauty just suddenly appears almost like a a kind of old-fashioned, brilliant UFO. Um, And uh, the beauty of it with the Art Deco exterior as well just has uh, something that I think is almost unique in world football. And as a fan, just coming you know, if you'd arrive and you'd if you just walk down and turn into Avonle Road the road we're on now it's a little incline at the top, the hill and you'd come down from the top and you would just see this gathering of you have people and fans and colour and noise and electricity all building and crescendoing in advance of the kickoff, and uh, it was just you were walking towards, like being drawn in like a magnet. You're coming down the hill, like sucked into this sort of specialness that was right here, right outside the ground. I mean, the Emirates doesn't even have a kind of real proper entrance. I mean, to have an entrance like that was spectacular, and um, really got you got you going. You know, got all the all the all the sort of blood coursing through your system, excited about the game. And um, the other thing, when I look at that, that I remember is, of course, the dressing rooms were literally. You see the uh, marble halls with the the old-fashioned street lights outside, and just the on the other side of that, just above ground level, they that was the dressing rooms. And on a on a particularly momentous day, Ian Wright would literally be hanging out almost by his ankles like you know cheering and singing songs with the fans and throwing stuff out and after you know winning trophies and things like that the scenes around here were immense Um, you'd never want to go home but this was
5: when you look around do you see where you used to sit
8: absolutely
5: is that do you does it it flicker from what it is now to to what it was then i mean the clock end and you know for sure where was home for you
8: uh uh various places over the years so i mean I, i spent the best part of 30 years watching football here so first game was in the west upper um and then uh a lot a lot in the north bank where I sort of, you know, had my teenage years and, uh, um, you know, you felt that rite of passion of growing up on the terrace. And then uh, over to the clock end, when they rebuilt the North Bank and made it all seater, the, t- the, the, the clock end was where it was at. Yeah. So I uh, had a brilliant time there where the f- football was as good as it's ever been. And um, we had many, many happy memories. And of course, whenever I was working, it was the East Upper yeah. um, where the press box was. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a truly magical, beautiful place. Um, and I'm very grateful that even though it's not the same, you can still feel its essence because of the fact that you're standing on a version of a, of a pitch-size uh, set of uh, you know grass, and you've got the four stands, and you've still very much got the... Even the gaps in between the stands that were there before are the same, and the fact that you can still feel very much that sense of the art deco with the East and the West um, is, and there are bits of it that are, are, they've built, they've rebuilt around the original structure rather than mimicked it. And then you can little see these little bits and it's like, that was actual real hybrid, which is fantastic. So you feel that connection still.
5: When you talk about what it was like, there was a clear identity and there was a connection between the fans the players and the stadium has that been entirely lost by by moving to the emirates and can you can you understand why it just simply had to happen
8: uh, i was a, a kind of stay at highbury fundamentalist all along and even though i knew that was a case of heart ruling the head the head knew all along that at the time when arsenal planned to move it was the sensible and logical and practical and ambitious thing to do this place for all of its beauty and magic couldn't get that much bigger. You know, it's hemmed in by local houses and um, you can't go too much higher because you mess about with people's light and space. And the neighbors quite rightly are entitled to say, no, you just can't build a, you know, 20 more million feet up in the air. Um, there was always issues about if you filled in the corners that the, the, the lack of sort of transference of air would would wreck the pitch forever. And that the ground staff were like, no, 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 we can't do that. And it just became, also, if you're trying to build uh, something that already exists and build around it, it's really difficult compared to smashing something up and starting again from scratch. Any kind of builder or architect will tell you that. So, I think in the end they didn't feel that staying was was possible. Um, and then came the um, the the where and what, and that was phenomenally tricky. Um, and it spent, it was a lot of years. I think the eventual paperwork of the um, documents that they had to run past Islington Council wherever for planning permission were like 1,000-page documents. It was absolutely, outrageously, uh, you know, a lifetime's work almost for people like Ken Fryer and, and, and Danny Fisman who were on the board who oversaw the move. And, um, you know, the stroke of luck was an Arsenal season ticket holder spotting on the A to Z... Um, Kids who don't know what an A to Z is before sat nav. You know, we actually had books with maps in it. That there was a um, uh, this sort of what they call brownfield site, uh, a patch of land, virtually next door. Uh, It was a it was a really actually used to be the the local rubbish tip and various other kind of industrial estate. wasn't wasn't the most salubrious part of the neighbourhood, but it meant staying in the heartland. Thank God. Because the idea of, you know, upping sticks and leaving this neighbourhood and ending up, you know, with a journey to the M25 or or Wembley or some other spot that didn't have a direct connection with the place that has become the club's home geographically, uh, that I think would have been like multiplying the the wrench of leaving Highbury and making it a million times worse people still have their same routines can go to the same pubs can go to the same restaurants can walk the same walks and a lot of people who come to games make sure they come past here first which is just like they are, it's like touching the, the magic yeah. stone before going off to, to the match so that that's good that it's all still so close you can see if you're in the Emirates if you're in Highbury House now um, in, in the offices and you look across this is all you can see and the skyline is you know the frontage of the west stand kind of more or less unchanged so you feel close to the to all the important things of the past
5: Now we know that it was a special place to watch football but it is now a lovely place to live as you can see around me. The gardens are beautiful and manicured and there are plenty of other things for the 650 flat residents that live here at the old stadium. They've got a concierge, they have underground parking, they also have a nursery on site plus a gym to keep fit. What is it like living in Highbury?
6: Do you know what? It's funny you should say that because literally, as Arsenal just won the FA Cup, it was amazing because the atmosphere when we went out on the pitch after they lifted the trophy was amazing. It's really good. I'm not an Arsenal fan, but my boyfriend who I live with is a gooner. He loves Arsenal. He's, he's a season ticket holder. So for him, it's like the dream come true. I mean, for me, even not as an Arsenal fan, but as a football fan, you can kind of feel like you're a part of history, living here, and you can see with the red windows and all the features, and yeah, it's really great. It's a great place to live. Oh, when Arsenal won the FA Cup, it was amazing. Yeah. Because obviously with it being like COVID now, and all the pubs not yeah. being open, yeah. everyone was out on the pitch.
5: Very good.
6: Yeah, so it's cool, it's a cool place to live. Do you know what, It's a re- I love it here. So yeah, okay. and then if you want to go to the Emeralds, you literally just walk, like, you'll see it. You just walk up that hill and it's there. Mm.